0: The road not taken two roads diverged in a yellow wood and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent into the undergrowth then took the other as just as fair and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear. though as for the passing there had worn them both really about the same. And both that morning equally lay and leaves no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the road less traveled by and that has made all the difference. Wow. And Uh, that is a first for us.
1: I was was getting a little bit of a Johnny Cash kind of vibe there. That that, 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 that was a lot better than listening to me sing. (laughs) I don't know. I still want to hear you sing. Uh, I have a musicality in my poetry voice. (laughs) Bob, that was wonderful. Thank you so much for being on this show. I know we've chatted about this for a while. It's been, uh, I don't know, a month or two since I last saw you up at your place. Yes. So you finally got to meet Carlitos back greetings carlito is back on the show he had to take a little break everyone has uh well if you want to mention if you want to discuss Uh, yeah
2: my father passed away i had to take care of him and these are tough things yeah i was they are are these are the things of life uh part of construction life basically. anyways i'm back yeah
1: so so it's good to see you it's good to see you have you he's my co-host he's my uh my anchor my one and only wow <laughs> oh my <laughs> all right let's get some detail first is, of it, of is that in the book <laughs> it's no it's not in the book <laughs> we'll get to that eventually bob peel is here thank you very much for coming on the show the company that you're currently working with and on and promoting is happyboss.com you're the president you've been in this business for 44 years so you you know a thing or two, you've got a few canoes or so, right? And the old
0: grizzled guy. Yeah. So
1: and I and I thoroughly enjoy always speaking to you and just listening to what you have to share. So the website is uh, happyboss.com, everybody, and you can reach them directly at Bob at happyboss.com and also on social media it's happyboss.com. We got a few little shout-outs that I want to just share. I know that on my way here I had somebody on Instagram. Uh, his handle is at D S A M L A L L. And he just reached out, he said, hello, Manny, loving the podcast, watch tons of shows. I know you're a busy guy, so I'm going to cut right to the chase. I always hear of the guys on the show looking for serious stand-up guys, looking to enter the trade. I'm 22 years old who finished a pre-apprenticeship at Skills Trades College for plumbing. I'm looking to become a first-year apprentice and was wondering if you had any contacts you can set me up with, Uh, whether it's 50, 60, 70 hours a week. I have no issue doing that. I'm looking to do new construction and a mix of service, commercial and residential. Please feel free. Free to contact me if you need be much appreciated the wow so i'm gonna respond back to his uh brother there and i'm just gonna let you know but you you're on the show now so if anybody's listening i know we have a lot of plumbers actually
2: plumbers are number- 60 70 <laughs> 80 hours
1: <laughs> so everyone just reach out to him and have a chat with him there what else did i want to chat about i actually bob you didn't know about this but i wrote a novel a fiction And I I announced this two weeks ago? Yeah, two weeks ago I announced this, right? So in the last three years, I was writing a novel while I was doing construction. And nobody in construction knew that I was writing a novel. And then once Carlito got wind that it was a love story, a romance story, (laughs) he just, the joke started. (laughs) (laughs) So anyone can go to the website and check it out and get a gist of the story. And you could also order a copy, and I'd much appreciate it. It's com. I think it's a good story and a lot of people have read it so far and copies are being handed out to people no, and it's just
2: got a copy now
1: a copy's made it to China that's amazing copies. I'm really a, proud make it down to the states so I've got some fans all over the place and and so they're reaching out which is great so I, I I thank thank you so much for the support for it
0: and what's the name of the book again
1: the Amabel letters it's an interesting story it's about a woman who recently breaks up and she discovers these letters and then she basically rediscovers her whole life I guess as a result of these letters And that's the gist of it,
2: I guess. I'm putting all my books away (laughs) and starting tonight.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Carlito's back. Bob's on the show. We got the show going along. Bob, where do you want to begin with everything?
0: Oh, boy. How Um, far back do we want to go? Well, you know, uh, all the podcasts uh, sort of start at what is your beginning? Yeah. How did you get started? I, I grew up outside of Brampton in a little place called Huttonville. And we were out on a couple acres. We had, you know, ponies and things like that i mean you know shetland pony used to bite my dad and stuff like that and uh, you know i remember those early days and my mom and dad built the house when i was 6 and i remember carrying loads of bricks around with them and picking rocks and doing all that stuff uh, when i was 11 and 12 i worked at a greenhouse and i went up every day and made a buck an hour and uh, uh, a buck I, I an should, hour. I should explain this. I was born in 1960. <laughs> was just so, for, you know, reference uh, a buck an hour was pretty good because he only paid his own kids 75 cents. So, um, anyway, I, bought, I could buy a mini bike with that money. What? And then the second year, I bought a second mini bike. Good times. I, I huh? worked. Good times. Um, oh boy, 20, 30 hours a week. I went up every night after school and I wound the cucumber plants and wound the tomato plants and picked the wow. suckers. And then on Saturdays, it was a 10 to 12 hour day. And uh, so, so I, I developed this work ethic earlier. I'm the oldest of three and, and, and so, you know, I was at my dad's side, you know, for that. When I was 13 and 14, I worked at my dad's warehouse. So, so my dad at, uh, when I was six, started a company called Brampton Fastener Company. And Brampton Fastener eventually became known as Burfasco. Brofasco. So Um, everybody in construction is pretty much familiar with Burfasco. Yeah, and and my dad had a partner. I mean, so so the two of them uh, were the two smart guys in my life. They taught me so, so much. As a a 13-year-old kid, 14-year-old kid, I worked in the warehouse. Then I decided there's no way I ever wanted to work with these two guys ever again. (laughs) Um, So I went went to work on a farm. And I was also uh, a really short guy and uh, a bit of a a bookworm. And we changed schools at the end of grade seven, changed schools at the end of grade eight. And so to fit into the high school, I decided I would play hockey. And I was a goalie. My uncle used to take shots on me. I finally learned how to skate at 13. And, 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 you know, I made a rep team. And then eventually I played a bit of junior. And, you know, I was still reading and all that. But, but uh, you know, I really, really loved the sports. Well, that turned out to be a problem because I, I skipped a grade in school. And, and then I got to high school. And I, uh, I, I got to grade 13. I was 16 years old. And wow. I failed all three grade 13 masks because I was playing hockey seven nights a week.
2: Okay. So,
0: was it the hockey or the partying? Uh, <laughs> way too young. To, I mean, oh. <laughs> I, I, was in, I was in classes with guys that actually shaved, and I was not that guy wow. yet. Uh, when I was 15 <laughs> or 16, I shot up, and I suddenly was the second tallest guy on my hockey team. But yes, because I was going to say you're not a small guy. But, you're not a small guy. You're big guy. But, but a big I guy. sure was. Yeah. I sure was that little guy. So so anyway, when I was 17, and I'm sitting there in the backyard uh, at my dad's pool drinking one of my dad's beers, uh, <laughs> he comes out and says, "Okay, hero, uh, what are you going to do for this summer?" And and I said, I really don't know," and he says. Well, you can't just sit at home. I said, I know. I said, but you'd always talked about when we graduated, you know, you'd, you'd maybe uh, sponsor a, a plane ticket somewhere. I said, so I want to go to Europe. Wow, and he said, nice. you just flunked out. So how can you possibly go to Europe? Like, you know, and I said, well, you get grade 12 and you think you graduate. I get grade 12 plus three grade 13 credits. So how come you graduated? And I did more in a shorter period of time. And <laughs> I didn't. Anyway, so it I didn't went, work. I, did it work? Uh, yes, it I, worked. I, I went to Europe. I was 17 Negotiation. and I, I backpacked around Europe for four months. Oh, that's we had uh, old neighbors that uh, lived in Holland and I used their house as a base. And their son, who is my age, uh, he came back to Canada, and he finished his grade 13 from my bedroom in well While <laughs> you're Caledon. traveling abroad. And and I'm using his bedroom as my base. And I would do seven to 10 day trips, and then return and let them feed me. And uh, I would do my laundry at their house <laughs> and things. And then i go off to my next adventure. And I went from the Rock of Gibraltar to the north of the Arctic Circle. Wow. Uh, you got to remember in 1977, several things my luggage never did show up until four months after i got home wow uh there were no credit cards at least i didn't have one so my mom and dad wired me money and i had to wait three or four days for it to show up at the american express office so i could go buy a second coat Wow! i borrowed a backpack i bought a second pair of jeans because you're wearing the same clothes that's exactly right wow when uh my mom and dad came over for a week in the middle of all that and I had them bring me my goalie skates because I had the idea, crazy idea, that I might actually try and play hockey in Holland. And uh, <laughs> they don't start their season until after Christmas, so I never did put the skates on. But they brought them. But they brought them, <laughs> and, and then they <laughs> took them home. <laughs> um, anyway, the, the couple that we stayed, that I stayed with, I would hear them. He was a pretty accomplished guy, worked for Phillips Electronics, and uh, he was a fix-it guy. And you know i i learned a little bit about what he did but if they ever argued it was about money and i, I made a vow then and i wrote a business plan on in my diary just a couple pages of a business that i wanted to start immediately after i got home because i never ever wanted to fight with anyone about money
1: and this is 16 years old i was 17 17 years old yeah
0: yeah so i came home I went back to work on the farm in January. I actually thought I was going to be a veterinarian until I ran into grade 12 chemistry, and uh, we didn't agree. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so... um, It's a nice short
1: path to your decision-making. Yeah, so so
0: in April of 78, I'm 18 years old uh, by a couple months, and my dad brings home a kit of nuts and bolts with little plastic drawers, 1,284 pieces, 66 bucks. And he says, we're gonna try and sell these to farmers. Uh, We put the ad in the Woodbridge Advertiser where all the auctions are. They presumably cut out a coupon. We mailed them a kit. He says, you should try this. And I said, the last thing I wanna be in life is a salesman. He says, no, but you can do this. So I put three kits in the trunk of my 67 Firebird and my 18-year-old long-haired self went calling on farmers cold calling on farmers from alliston to Collingwood to orangeville and i sold a kit and i made 20 bucks a kit less my gas gas was 36 bucks a gallon or 36 cents a gallon so so you know you look at that and go okay well interesting i started selling a kit an hour but every third farm and so uh, I made far more money on a Saturday than I did working on the farm at four bucks an hour through the week. So in August that year, I quit the farm and I started my business, which was called Town and Country Fasteners in Orangeville. I'm 18. At 19, I, I, I'm introduced to my wife-to-be. Uh, we got married at 20, first kid at 21, second one at 23, next one at 27. No no wasting time. So my, my, Well, you know, I was in a hurry. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know why, but, but you know... Um, I didn't see a path, I wasn't much interested in school. I mean, I was okay at it. It, it just seemed too vague for me or something. And it wasn't like, I, I mean, I, I devoured books. I could read the stuff, but I really didn't know how I was going to apply it.
1: Was it the kits, like you actually, that motivation of selling those kits, figuring out, well, if you sold one an hour, you made 20 bucks, you're making 20 bucks an hour at, at age. Yes. That time you realize there's something here
0: when you're making four bucks an hour you're nobody's hero no you can't afford very much of anything but you know and and when i started making the money on the kits i looked at went, okay what else can i do and maybe i'm more interested in my dad's business than i thought i was when i started i nearly went out of business a couple times because i had to expand the line he's in brampton i'm in orangeville orangeville much smaller town uh, less diversified. I've got to have a much wider pr- range of product to be able to uh, survive. And then, of course, you get married and we bought a house immediately. And you're, uh, this is laughable, the house was 45,000.
1: How many square feet?
0: Oh, not a lot. Like uh, over a 1,000? 900. It was, it was about 80 or 90 years old. It had been moved there. A uh, story and a half. And so what I did over the next seven years, and this ties into the construction life, is I renovated it. And I spoke to my contractors who were coming in over my counter day in, day out, and I would say, I have this project I have to do, and I would get three, four, five opinions on how to do it. And I always had a pen in my left pocket and, and a sketch pad, and I would pull it out, and I would draw for them what I was trying to do, and they would say, "Well, this is the way I would do this," and then uh, next contract come in an hour later, and I would say the same thing to him, and he'd say, "Well, this is the way I would do it," and if the two agreed, well, then that was the plan. And you know, uh, the fence I built around that house is still standing; <laughs> it's still the original gate. I, I laugh at. I mean, they should fix that, but by now, but but. Uh, I tore out all the lath and plaster. It was, it was all the knob and tube uh, wiring. Full gut, everything. It, it, was, it was a lead pipe under the toilet. Wow. Um, but quiet. Yeah. Every, <laughs> oh, you wouldn't hear it. It's true. At, at the, one day I got in the, in the shower, and there was a bat in the shower with me because I'd left an opening <laughs> unsealed overnight. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so seven years of renovating a house gave me practical experience. Not that I wanted to be a contractor, but I wanted to be of more service to my contractor customers. Also, at age 22, I was invited onto the Chamber of Commerce, uh, the board of directors. At 22? Yeah. I. Um, how did that come about? I'd attended several of their trade shows, and I sent them in about a five-page, handwritten, full scrap uh, bunch of suggestions, how to make the show better, how to make people better exhibitors. Uh, a rule for trade shows, don't, staff your table with kidnap victims
1: yeah okay everybody
0: needs to be a volunteer everyone needs to know why they're there everybody needs to be effective it's expensive to go to a show so no kidnap victims they look like kidnapped victims they're hiding in the corner wow that's such a good point so so i look around yeah i know i know when i when (laughs) i've gone to trade shows you can tell the ones that want to meet people and the ones that are looking over your shoulder to find something more interesting all that type of stuff and you go what a waste of time why are you even here yeah I sent that in and they gave me a call and I said, listen, if if there was such a funny thing, like one day maybe they'll call it FaceTime or something, but you could see me, you'd realize (laughs) I'm way too young to be on the board of directors. I don't have near enough experience. And they said, we like your energy and your ideas. So I went on the board at at 26, I was president of the chamber and uh, and then at 27, that's the year we um, uh, merged with my dad's company. The partner came to me and said, we uh, like to take this a bit further and you have um an understanding money doesn't grow on trees unlike the rest of the family. And uh so we merged the two and became Berfasco. And, and that was what that all got that started. was uh one Nin- year nineteen eighty seven. Nineteen
1: eighty seven. Yep.
2: Wow. Yeah.
0: Um, it was a
1: good
2: year too. It was, <laughs> <laughs> was two years guess. away from a
1: recession, man.
2: I I know, but the the recession for some people was bad and recession was oh, good for others. Know, I know. So,
0: yeah. Well so so that was May 4th on or about you know July 10th, the partner came to me and said, "You know uh, we can close your place down because we have a full six months in the books." and I said, "No, no you, you know it's kind of a crazy thing to say, but I said, "You have a laboratory here uh, no computers, but I know the inventory, I know the customers, I know the staff, and we'll never get this opportunity again. so we should keep it going and if you just pretend you don't own it, it will trickle money into your bank account as profitable." But if you can learn from it like a laboratory, then maybe it can steer us in this other direction. Because the business that my dad had had been going for 20, uh, 21 years at this point. How do I fit in other than to replicate and do exactly what they've been doing? And I found that boring as hell.
2: Right. You're fresh and
0: young. Right. But, but you, you know for new ideas, you got to do something new. Mm-hmm. We opened a branch in New Market and then we opened one in Barrie, and then we studied them for a year, and we figured out how to deliver on that diamond-shaped truck route, and we learned how to manage the staff, and uh, how to get the staff to order from head office, and how to train the staff remotely, and we learned a bunch of things. And, and from that point on, we could open more branches more quickly but uh that was the beginning of it all is that the idea that it's our laboratory and we're free to experiment with it
1: did you look at it when you guys merged going into the 90s there was huge opportunity to expand this particular business
0: yeah so what happened there were people that gave us a sense of scalability but scalability wasn't a word yet true
1: it didn't show up until after the 2000s right and yeah. and,
0: and so uh, we talked to people that had a couple locations and then there, there was a company called Fastenal in the States and somebody yeah. said you're kind of like Fastenal I think we were about nine branches at that time so so the crazy thing because I think all entrepreneurs do uh, they, they do un- things other people think are unreasonable yeah we went to Thunder Bay to visit my brother-in-law for the summer, drag the whole family up to Thunder Bay. And, and it's, a, it's only a day's drive. Um, With well, a car full of kids. But it's a good trip. It's a, yeah, good trip. it's a good trip. And so we got a couple of days of fishing in and all that. Uh No, no a safari minivan. Um, <laughs> he
1: drives a safari
0: minivan. No, I don't. It's an express. So, so on the way back from Thunder Bay, I said to my wife, I need to go see a Fastenal. The nearest one is Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, you can look that up. It's a distance. Yeah. So we drove to Minneapolis-St. Paul. I got the whole there. family? Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and and so, you know, Michael was probably. They must have loved three. that road trip. <laughs> yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah
0: yeah. <laughs> so so anyway, we um, we get to Minneapolis-St. Paul, and I, I poke my head into a, a fast and see what the all about. And I thought, yeah, we have a different model. And then uh, I went into one in Eau Claire and I think I had one other. And then when I came back to the office, I mean, you know, I, I was armed with a concept for us that wouldn't overlap what Fastenal does very well. And all these years later, I mean, Fastenal blasts out a lot of locations, but they're relatively less expensive footprints and they're more logistic driven. We were heavy on inventory a more fully stocked location, more expensive location. So we were never gonna open near as many as them. Okay. But it gave two complementary models for customers. And there was room in the market for both of us. So that's where that came from, is that crazy drive from Thunder Bay. And when we got to Sault Ste Marie on the US side, my wife says, Well that's it. She says, we're stopping, and I'm shopping. I'm not spending three <laughs> days going through cow pastures in northern... Stopping you know, Wisconsin. and shopping. I am stopping and shopping. And, and uh, we found out that the U.S. side of Sault Ste. Marie is much, much, much smaller than the Canadian side. Okay. And uh, the shopping opportunities were really, really pretty lean. But she scratched the itch, and you know, we could move on. Anyway, that's <laughs> where the idea came from. And I came back with uh, you know a fairly articulate uh, uh, description of the 2 big business models. How and was your dad receptive to that? My dad really never wanted to open a single branch. Really? Wow. Partner did. Okay. And, and Ken, Ken was a great guy to drive new ideas. It, it was an interesting thing to watch because the dynamic between them, one would say, you know, I think we should buy a million of something. And, and my dad typically would say, I think we should buy a hundred thousand. And they would settle at 500,000. Well, I had watched that as a high school student and then I'd listened to it at the kitchen table and when I started my own business, I realized that I couldn't, I, w- I would simply be more successful if I modeled myself after the compromise that was the two of them together. Mm-hmm. So then when I actually got to work with the two of them, I didn't have so much t- room to move because I was already there. and. I uh, worked well with the partner. I could work well with either because I understood them.
1: You had the formula.
0: Right, uh, but but, but I, I was speaking their language to that. Yeah. And, and the other piece of it, I suppose, is that, you know, Ken said to me a number of times, he says, your father makes two decisions a year. They're both right. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I make a thousand, and if I'm right 501 times, I'm fine. He says, you got to be more like me and less like him because we need to, get some things done he says so he says don't be afraid of getting it wrong he says whatever we do we'll do it better the second time and so we just experimented on the fly like crazy and we really did treat the places like laboratories and we experimented all over the place
1: but you could easily at that time see the cause and effect of something oh absolutely right Well, we
0: were all on the floor none of us were hiding in the ivory tower yeah right we were serving customers and we were training the staff. And you know, it, it's hard to talk about this in such a short period of time, but, but I would say that my track record is I hit every single branch, every single month, all the way through. And so I'm holding evening sessions with two or three branches at a time with pizza and beer, and, and you know, I'm, I'm giving them updates on the company, and uh, you know i'm I'm an ear for anyone that wants to pull me aside at the end of it and so we're pretty close to the ground on this and we're listening to things with customers and then i I eventually i started running meetings on tuesday mornings where i met with the the core management team the the sales team and uh, the regional managers and we brought up all the things were going wrong in the company that previous previous week all the challenges we talked it out, we, we fought it out, we did whatever, and then by the time we were done, you know, we were all good on what we were going to do that week.
1: So who's, is it you, your dad, and Ken, the partner, during the course of that week, you're making a list, a grocery list of what's going wrong, and then you're preparing so, that list for Tuesday?
0: Well, so so it's it stages, because w- what I'm probably describing to you is 17 years of evolution. Yeah under two sets of ownership, which I'll get to in a second. So when I started as a high school student, on the same day was a gentleman named Brian Wood. And Brian was a, neighbor, a son of a neighbor for, for Ken. And Brian now runs something called Bolts Plus, which is now a third player in the marketplace. Here in Canada? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I they don't have a number know of locations. Okay. So the Berfasco team kind of split into to, you know two groups, and Bolts Plus is one of them, and they do a good job for their customers as well. Okay. And Brian and I started the same morning, way back when. He's you know it was a year older than me, and you know occasionally we played in the same hockey team. Uh, All this type of thing, we knew each other. Brian came in and he was their key guy because he got out of school a couple years before me and uh, he stayed on with them full time all the way through. I went on my nine year diversion of my own business and then joined in. And so the four of us were the ones that sat at the table and in the early days at least we were the four that made a lot of the key decisions. It's an interesting thing. The, The evolution of industrial supply businesses is that they were all scrap dealers after World War II you couldn't buy nuts and bolts the way you do today came through hardware stores but if you wanted something for manufacturing you went to stelco and you ordered them and waited weeks yeah and and, in big volumes yeah right and so the scrap dealers after world war ii gathered up all the wartime surplus and you wanted six inch bolts and they had six and a half they gave those to you instead you made them work. And, 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 and they got rid of all the wartime surplus that way. And my dad and Ken were the second generation of those scrap dealers. And they were still doing that when I came on board in 87. Eventually the business sort of matures and a you know, customer wants six inch bolts, you give them six inch bolts. The idea of surplus floating around is just not as available today as it once was. But, but that's, that's the roots of it. And these guys hustled. They hustled. And there was a secret to their company, really, I discovered when I first came on board. Most companies had their strength in the field. Their salespeople were the guys that made everything happen. The owners were often the salespeople. My dad and Ken were the two guys that answered the phone when you called. It's amazing. And they were the office guys, right? And all our strength was geared towards when you really need us. You don't need a salesman out there making promises, being the talent so they changed the model up and i don't know if they knew they were doing that nobody
1: before that was doing that
0: i don't think so i I and and the key to it in a way is that the owner wants to stay close to his money and and you know he wants to watch expenses and he wants to make sure no one's giving the stock away yeah so the owner if he answers the phone and handles it can keep greater control so that's how they started i mean they literally started in my grandmother's living room in Malton. My mom took a number of orders. She said, (laughs) I just (laughs) said, uh, you got to purchase her and I'll have them call you. And the guy gave her the purchaser. My dad said, how do you get the purchaser? I asked for it. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, then then as the business grew, well, they took a 1,500 square foot place in in Brampton. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, you know, they bought in an apple orchard and they bought an acre where, you know, the 93 Heart Lake Road uh, business was started beside the 410. Yeah, And then, you know, in my contribution of all this, I guess I bought the building beside uh, and, and expanded the building into it and merged the two and oversaw the construction of, of the merger. And then I saw my last official act was I signed the lease for the existing location immediately south so that if they ever ab- abandoned the main warehouse, we trained customers to go down that street for so many l- years that the customers wouldn't be disappointed. They would find what they were looking for. Yeah. yeah. Sure. So that was my last act was to sign that lease.
1: I want to just double back a tiny, tiny bit because I know that you had that expression that your dad told you about, okay, hero. And I want, I'd i love for you to <laughs> okay, just hero? share it. Yeah. Because it, it resonated with me when, we, when you first told me about it. And it's true. I don't think we have enough tradespeople, young tradespeople these days that have heard that kind of an expression to kind of, the foot in the, you know, the bum kind of thing to get into gear, right?
0: Yeah, um, I'll say we had a a special relationship. (laughs) Um, I mean, because we we shared the same sense of humor and the same sort of intellectual tolerance for things and uh, we could speak rather plainly to each other, But, but I can tell you, we never swore, never, the voices never raised. But sarcasm was deep and thick. Plenty. <laughs> There's Plenty. There's no doubt. Um, okay, hero. Oh, my gosh. My dad had <laughs> I so it. many of these Honestly, things. I love it. Um, you know, sometimes my dad would look at somebody and just go, wow, he's a real bright spark, isn't he? <laughs> 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 like, so, so, I don't know. I just grew up with those things. That was just the, was honest the, the, the language. It was honest comedy, yeah. I mean, the, the office, oh, my gosh, we, we were professional F-bomb throwers. Um, we, we, everyone is you know the 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 the, uh, the very concept of a lot of what we did was that we were reacting to people's emergencies there was a lot of stress a lot of urgency a lot of a lot of uh, pulling rabbits out of a hat like where am I going to find these you know and and you know but but that's how we endeared ourselves to customers we became very good at it and it starts because the guys answering the phone were the most senior guys in the company and back then and this is really critical There were no computers. So the surplus list came in and it came in in a 60 page binder and they would look through it and then there'd be another one and another one and there'd be bookshelves of these things. And when some customer said, uh, I need three quarter inch lock nuts and they're going scarce, where can you find some? They would remember which of those binders and they would go over and pull it out and call some guy in Wisconsin, have them send three skids up and and that's how they got ahead of it because they had phenomenal memories phenomenal and and you know when when there were to imagine the world with no computers today oh i would love that right well <laughs> yeah and and and, and yet it, like it's a wonderful tool but I don't even remember phone numbers anymore, and I used to remember 50 of them.
2: Yeah, me too. I don't Right, yeah, I don't and, and
0: speed dials now. I look for a picture or a name, but, but I don't remember any numbers. Yeah, yeah. so true. And, and and you know, I have to hesitate to give somebody my cell phone number, or my home number anymore because I just never use them. Mm-hmm. Right. So so the world where you were not supported by all the technology meant you had to figure it out. And if you're quick on your feet and your memory came along and, and all this, I mean, time was money and uh, you could get there one phone call ahead of the other guy. Sharp. They were sharp back they, then. They were sharp. They, they, so so oh, I'm going to go all over the place with this. Oh, but, that's but fine. In 2003, we put in our first computer system. 2003? Yes. And I, I, I had people coming up to me in 1990 saying, you know, if you don't have a website by the end of the year, you'll probably be out of business. And I said, oh, we're going to be fine with that. <laughs> uh, Y2K, everybody was going to be out of business right, anyway. Right, yeah. so, so, so 2003, uh, we put in this, this uh, uh, program called Microsoft Great Plains. And it's a substantial program. And it takes a year and a half with a lot of help to, to make that thing run. We won a Microsoft Pinnacle Award for innovation that year in 2004. And I left the company about that then. I was sitting on a beach in Antigua with my wife, <laughs> but um, apparently like two or three or four of the guys all, um, went to um, San Francisco or wherever and uh, sat across from Bill Gates and got a nice little piece of acrylic. And uh, uh, But it was a pinnacle award for innovation. And, and uh, I, I, I said to one of the guys, I said, I hate to sound ungrateful, but. We only just got computers to do what my dad was doing with a pencil 25 years ago. That's so funny. am I impressed? I'm, I'm more thankful it's over. <laughs> but we're not actually doing so much more than those sharp guys were doing back then with pen and paper. I'm thankful we caught up. You know, my dad wouldn't recognize anything new, so um, what's new?
1: So that was 2003, and you got So is that when the business was sold?
0: Yeah, so, so um, how do we describe this? And, and again, going all over the place, um, in 99, my dad was diagnosed with lung cancer, mm. a heavy, Sorry, heavy smoker. That. He had you know, he had an ashtray at one end of the file cabinets and one at the other, and he was always checking invoices, and he'd have a cigarette going in each one, and, <laughs> and maybe light another one if you stopped <laughs> to talk to him. Um, so, so just it's how people were, that's all. It's just, that's it yeah. the world, right? And, yeah. and uh, anyway, he developed lung cancer, and he passed away um, in August of, of 2000. We had had offers to purchase the company up till then, and uh, we'd turn them all down but but at this point Ken came to me and said you know we get the next offer we should probably take it he says I'm seven years older and I'm getting tired and uh, you know let's see what we can do so in 2000 we did actually sell the company we shook hands on a deal in April and closed on October my dad died in August and he was 62 that's and he did, had a good life and yeah. enjoyed it, but he never actually got to see the, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the big pile of money that came at the end of it. And I say that, you know, it's, um, it's not like he deprived himself of anything along the way. His wants were relatively simple, and he satisfied them. You know, I went through a year that I never want to go through again you know, because I'm visiting him in the hospital his last 28 days in a row in Newmarket. And then racing down to Brampton, and sometimes you know after-hours meetings with the bu- team that's doing their due diligence, and uh, we finally closed October fourth, and I find myself well, I'm president of the company now, and I'm reporting to a venture capital firm out of Chicago, and they send up four guys that are going to you know give us help, and you know, we have dotted line reports to these guys. I'm happy to say that you know we, we increased sales 50% over the next four years. Wow. We put in that sales, uh, that, that, that software, and then we um, also took the company from 17 locations to 25.
1: In four years. And
0: we, with the team from Chicago's help, we bought a company in Detroit. Then I opened a second branch in Detroit, and I opened a branch from scratch in Chicago. And the idea at that time was to explore the cross-border supply uh, to those three locations, and those were going to be your new footprints if you could expand the company greatly. That was, you know, that was pretty significant. And I mean, you know, for the whole company, that was a feather in our cap. Mm-hmm. You know, so so that was fun. That was fun. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I I got I did all that and I got paid. I mean, I I I had fun like every day for those four years. It was crazy good then in in 2004, I decided that it was time for me to step away because I'm managing half of the proceeds from the sale of the company for my mom, my brother and my sister and my family, and then going to work in the day to manage a company that now had debt because the new guys, of course, finance it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know and, and, and we also went from 126 employees to 180 it's not quite a part-time job and so i finally thought after four years okay i probably left my mark here and i can step away and you know good for you i I said i'll be available um you know four to eight hours a month i'll take your calls whenever i took a call in a hot tub (laughs) and i actually (laughs) so wicked to hear i I, I actually drowned my cell phone um (laughs) as i went to get out or to adjust something uh uh, the bow wave went over my cell phone and drowned it, and uh, it doesn't feel as good as you would think it would to kill your cell phone, to throw it in the lake, but it, it's, uh, it was a great story to tell my family, because they always thought I was glued to the thing, so yeah, when yeah, I finally yeah. killed it and was without one for a couple it days. It was a sign. It yeah, was a sign. it was a sign. Anyway, <laughs> I, I stayed on with them, and I, yeah, I did all the TV advertising and stuff like that, through, and then. I came back from Kelowna in March of 05 and uh, turned out that um, Home Depot was looking at our company and we closed on a sale to Home Depot in, in wow. June and I remember um, that transition and then yeah. I was finished you know officially
2: you um, see all the boxes with your names on them all the time now. yeah that's right yeah, yeah. So, well you did it, it's not like yeah. that it, no. and
0: Home, De- Home Depot packaged the uh, company into their HD supply division Yes. The HD supply division eventually got sold, I think, in the last year to Whitecap. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the company's corporate ownership has changed and their logistical support from Whitecap, I'm sure, is substantial. But I still see the trucks around and I see the name on it. And, you know, there were days I wish they'd take the name off the truck. There's lots of days I wish they'd wash the truck. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I drive by a branch, I see a a light bulb out. I still want to phone somebody and realize nobody cares. but but you know it was wow. it was just a blast to but run a company like that and 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 so I can bring it a bit more full circle to what you do. A third of our business was contractors, and probably another commercial third, contractors. Uh, no, no, not necessarily. The home renovators and 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 commercial both and and then also maintenance departments, which are also like little contractors, right? I mean, the, the, each one of them, and and so. Uh, I go back to 1978 and I'm dealing with customers and I'm, I'm asking them about my house, you know, I have this project, what would you do? And then as I expanded my product line, I would ask the customer, uh, what would you like to see me carry? What do you have trouble getting that I should put on the shelf here? Because you're in Orangeville, right? And, and so you can't just go to the next guy. There is no next guy. in Brampton. Yeah. Uh, what would you like to see me stock? And and I would say that early on I developed like a crazy focus on customers, but I wasn't chasing them, I was simply listening to them. And I was adapting my business to give them the best version of a supplier that they dreamt up.
1: There's a theme here, Bob, like from the very beginning with Ken and your dad, that whole frontline customer connection, listening and responding.
0: And we were a very flat organization. The drivers could talk to the president, mm. right? There was no Middleman. layer upon layer of management. It was a very lean organization, and we all wandered around. I mean, there was no ivory tower, so so we were accessible. The problems got solved right away. Oh yeah, and yeah. Matter of fact, sometimes suddenly, there's no finger pointing anymore, <laughs> if, right? <laughs> if, if you knew, if you knew my dad's partner, um, he was a bit of a volatile guy with uh, a bit of a temper, and and um, Uh, Sometimes, you know, change his mind on Tuesday from, you know, the edict he offered on Monday, the progress was always forward. It wasn't a straight line, but it was always forward. Like I say, sometimes the problems are solved suddenly, (laughs) but if that didn't work, we're willing to change and fix it and make it better the next time. That's amazing. And so, you know, that, that company culture... You know, when I, I look at business models and I look at what people come up with in terms of you know, financial uh, dashboards and all the other type of thing. Your culture is more important than anything else. If everybody knows sincerely the company's management ownership is committed to a certain standard, the rules and the details will be figured out later. If somebody yells fire we don't sit down and map out a plan. We run for the exits.
2: I don't, I go to the fire. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> some people, sure.
0: But, 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 but this is the type of thing that it, it, the details will change and the details are terribly unimportant a lot of the time. But the essence of accomplishing the goal, however you get there, I mean, so imagine with 22 Ontario locations, I would issue a set of instructions and please put this sign up on your front door. I would see 22 versions of that. That's a simple thing, right? But everybody's got a different way. So some guys, uh, if if you're five foot eight and you put it at eye level, it's gonna be different than the manager's six foot two. That alone makes a difference. Some guys put it on the outside of the building. Some guys put it on the inside of the glass. Some guys looked at it and said, I get the southern sun and I have humidity issues. So if I put a cardboard sign on the glass, it's gonna have water streaks on it in a couple days. So they came up with something else, right? But, but then we took best practices and we said, this actually works best down in Belleville. That manager's got a really good idea. We're gonna push that out to all the rest of the, uh, forget what else we told you, do the Belleville way. And then someone else, you know, up in, in Barrie would say, you know, I found this really works well and uh, you know and and sometimes they would hide it right they, they would they would do it in such a way that, but but if management showed up they kind of said well i didn't do it the way you asked i did it this other way because it worked a little better for us and i go don't be ashamed of it i mean let's trumpet that through the company Let, let's get that out there and so we did
2: because they might come up with a better way of they course be they would. right uh, they're all talented people exactly well you're but what's even more important in all this is you're giving that person a pat in the back which is encouraging and inspires them for the future for more yes. ideas.
0: So, so you know, I'll, I'll give you something here, a conversation I had in, in, in uh, the summer of 2000, I toured around two guys from the Bank of America, from North Carolina, I think. Um, I showed them five branches and head office, and then I'm taking them back to the airport. And, you know, that's because they're gonna finance the deal to buy our company. And I'm, you know, entering Pearson's parking lot system there. And, and, and they said, you know, really nice company. Uh, we see no problem with financing it. Uh, you guys should be proud of what you've created. And they said, uh, wh- what's your, uh, your number one challenge going forward? And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be dropping them off in 30 seconds and I'm going to say something really <laughs> lame. And they're going to take that back to North Carolina and go, no, never mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I said, well, it's, it's people. It's all about the people. And we have to be able. Like we can do buildings and leases all day long, but staffing them with the appropriate people who treat our customers properly—that's going to be the challenge. And he says, "Bingo, number one answer." He says, "What's your plan to do something about?" It? <laughs> it's like, you know, this is this is not comfortable. Um, so I thought about it for a second. I said, "Well, here's the thing. I guess um, we have to develop formal training programs because we got to do it faster than we're doing it more thoroughly." That's one, but The essence of it is we want them to treat customers the way we want the customers to be treated by anybody to our standard. And so we don't need to hire from the top third of the population because they're talented but they're also expensive. And we can't hire from the bottom third because they're just not quite talented enough. But that still leaves a lot of people and they're affordable. Um, So supply of people won't be a problem but the key is getting them to treat customers well. So I, I said, fortunately, every single person treats somebody well in their life. You know, if your best friend asked you to pick their kids up from school, you'd, you'd find a way. If they asked you to help them build a fence or something, you, you'd, you'd show up, if only to drink the beer. And, um, <laughs> you know, everybody treats somebody well. I said, so the problem perhaps is that we rein in the best parts of somebody, because we're afraid that they'll do inappropriate things. They'll give stuff away, they'll steal from us or whatever. What we need to do is give people permission to treat our customers the way they treated their good friends on the weekend. Yeah. We can't inflict good behavior with a rule book. So, so the, the key is to find good people, give them permission, and get out of their way.
2: So they could treat your so your, they can treat business, the customer the your, your way that business, they treated their, way, yeah. their good friends
0: yeah. on the weekend. Wow. Right? And and that became a crystallization moment for me. And 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 that drove a lot of the next 4 years growth because it was formalized and people could understand it. Give them permission on Monday to treat them the way they treat their good friends on Saturday. So, yeah. And well, and it just makes such a difference.
2: Well, it it goes back to your father and your his partner you spoke about and I couldn't help but you had these people working there for so long that means they were happy where they were and they remembered everything because they were long-term employees so you kept good people in your business that was the business right so and it never some changed of them really.
0: st- stayed in in spite of there were plenty of good reasons to leave <laughs> 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 but it took years because there was no formal program you, you, you but but you know you had the time right and nothing was moving that quick back then you, you you went out in the warehouse and you spent you know three weeks or six months you or whatever time. filling orders by the time you got to the phone by the time we picked the most talented person of all the order pickers up to the phone they had a pretty good chance of surviving and and you know our outside sales force so, so this is another thing that uh, happened along the way is that um, We had four outside salespeople, and Ken didn't trust outside salespeople because he had been one. Pretty regularly, he would prune the youngest junior person, and uh, because I had just started in 87, you know, 87, 88, he he decided I should follow him around like a lost puppy because I I apparently didn't know anything yet. New guy. He would bring me into his office to witness the execution. And and, and so I went back to my desk (laughs) the the one day, and, and I thought, oh my gosh, that, that young guy made one mistake and he just got fired. And he really didn't deserve that. And I'm, I'm kind of tired of this model. It's wearing on my humanity. And, and how else can I make the phone ring? And then I thought a bit more about it. And, and you know, through my head is newspaper advertising and all that, because well, all we did for the salesman is we gave him business cards and said, go out and tell people we exist and that we sell this stuff. And when you need it, call the number because our talented people are here to answer your phone call well then i've rephrased the question and like a rubik's cube i move this thing around a bunch of times until i frame the question in such a way that i can see the answer and the question is who makes the phone ring without an outside sales force and the answer is everyone else but us so I started considering radio advertising. And I started looking at magazines and trade magazines. And I started looking at all this stuff and I get a call out of the blue from a guy named Bob Fernie, weeks from retirement. He was the salesman for uh, the Barry TV station, the CKVR. I used to remember their names, Valerie and, uh, uh, you know, anyway, <laughs> so CKVR, he, sa- he says, uh, have you ever considered advertising on TV? I said, well, that statement alone way sounds expensive, too expensive. So yeah. I said, it takes us three weeks to spend thirty bucks on business cards. I don't think we're going on TV. He says, it's surprisingly affordable. Great phrase. I said, come on in and see me. If nothing else, it'll be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Two thousand dollars will put you on the air for a month, including a commercial. For a month? 1988. Wow. So I sat down with him and he introduced me to a gentleman named Paul Archer and Paul was my producer for the next 16 years. I looked at Paul and I said, so you're the poor bugger that has to make nuts and bolts interesting. Fortunately, I have a couple ideas. They. Talked us into animating our logo for an extra thousand dollars, and it was hand drawn on 35 mil film. I still have it in a safe at home. So, this That's is three thousand so dollars, cool. right? So, it became three thousand dollars for one month. The proposal, pretty cheap, Manny. The, oh, it's the, extremely the, cheap. The, the, the proposal was all of four pages. And my dad and and Ken were were pretty famous for uh, going out for lunches on Tuesdays, maybe an extended lunch, and uh, as they were heading out for lunch, I I handed them the the, uh, four pages and I said, can you discuss this at lunch? And they said, what is it? I said, TV. They went, huh. (laughs) So (laughs) sort of okay hero (laughs) in a different set of words. So um, they came back, they tossed it onto my desk and said, go ahead. It was the only discussion we ever had on TV. Really? That's ever. it? And then I got to do the TV for the next 16 years. I, I wrote wow. most of the scripts. And the TV um, worked really and well. the TV worked really well. Shh, don't tell anybody. And we did radio, because we were on the CFRB and we were on the fan, and uh, that's how we did it. We replaced our outside sales force with mass marketing. And Which that, you said were the people. In the, in, right. All, in, uh, what, what do other people do to make phone ring? So we went and borrowed all their good ideas. They'd spent millions of dollars understanding what buttons to push with each person, what people will react to, and I just was a great copycat. Beautiful. I studied that like crazy.
1: And so... No reason um, to reinvent anything.
0: No, no. So, so I tell my clients this. There's a story about Henry Ford and the meatpacking yeah. plant. Yeah. And everybody should Google that story. Henry Ford didn't invent the assembly line. He did, in fact, gone bankrupt twice because he was beholden to the craftsmen that crafted an automobile at that time. And they were expensive and they were slow. They were sheet metal workers and welders and they could build an engine, and then they were you know, craftsmen with the wood and the sanding and painting and all the other things. But boy, it was slow. He went to a meatpacking plant, and because he wasn't another meat packing plant, they gave him the full tour. You go to a competitor in your industry, they won't show you anything. No, they won't. You won't get past reception. No. Nope. But because he was a total stranger to that industry, they said, come on in, see what <laughs> we got. Right. And What he saw was recent immigrants who couldn't speak the language, but they could be trained to make a single cut, and they could make that cut a thousand times a day. And his little light bulb went off and he went, I wonder if I could make cars that way. I learned, and it became a guiding philosophy for me, is to look outside my industry to see who's already solved the problem. So I take each problem, turn it into a Rubik's Cube, I flip it around, stare at it a whole bunch of times until it becomes obvious what the question should be and who's got the answer, who's already solved it.
1: Which industry what, has it?
0: What, what's revolutionary to our industry yeah. is commonplace in some other industry. When we went ahead and did our computer system, I, I said to my staff, I said, well, it's really kind of interesting, but who handles a lot of low-value parts, thousands of them, and pushes them through the till really quickly? Let's go to the grocery store. So I go to the grocery store, and I'm talking to a guy that's facing up the shelves. And I go, you work here? He says, no. I said, you work for this company? He says, yep. I said, what do you do? He says, I manage the contract. I make sure I take a tape measure out and I make sure we have our five and a half feet of shelves. I, I make sure that our full line is represented. I make sure that our signage is here the way it's supposed to be. And then I move on to the next door. And he says, a different team does the contracts And I'm around once a week to do this stuff. And I went, that's brilliant, I can use that. Took Mm -hmm. it back to my business, boom. Walk in on my Tuesday morning meeting and said, I think I solved your problem. (laughs) Right? Then I said, who else is like really quick? Who's really, really quick at processing stuff? Beer store. It's fun to go in and quiz the guys in the beer store. How do you do this? And, and they'll tell you because They're you're open. not yeah, the you're, competitor. are not competition. Right? So we found that we had great leaps forward that we would never get by incrementally taking the steps inside our own industry, inside our own company.
2: had yeah, so much in common. Right? Yeah.
0: And we would go out, and it costs us nothing but curiosity and time and paying attention. Yeah? So, so that's how we did that.
1: And that's something that could easily be done in construction.
0: Well, and it's applied everywhere, right? Yeah. I mean, you—if you, um, you got a, a job where you're building a staircase, I mean, you know, go study a few staircases, and and you know, go, go to a, a museum that has high traffic. Go go to the Go Transit and the TTC and say, you know, you have a, so many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over these steps. You know, what did you find? You had to do to the concrete to make it this hard. And learn from and that. Yeah. So so you don't have to invent all the solutions, solve all the problems yourself. You just go find the person who's already done it and then adapt it to your business. So that really gave us a leap forward. The TV commercials, that was the fun, most fun. So I, I grabbed 200 pounds of nuts and bolts for the first commercial. And I, I, I pick out a great variety of things uh, representative of our whole line. And I, I, I'm, I mean, this stuff's never gonna get sorted and put, anything over five bucks, I'll put away again. But, but you know, the other stuff, it's, good it's sold for sweepings. I load up my truck, I, I head up to Barry and it's Paul and I and a cameraman. And Paul says, I have this idea. So, so we, we lay this stuff out on a, on a table that's covered in black uh, fabric. We film everything perfect. And then one by one, we take a piece apart. We take one piece off the table, and then he runs the film backwards, and the table fills up, right? And that's how we did the commercials, and that's pretty cool. And Paul says, I have this idea for your logo. He says, give me those two bolts. Now the bolts were inch and a half diameter by 12 inches long. Yeah, they're big boys. And they're heavy. They're five pounds a piece. And we had a four inch hex nut, which weighs whatever, and Uh, maybe a three-and-a-half and a three-and-three-quarter. And 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 Paul says, I'm a drummer on the weekends. (laughs) I want to drum these things (laughs) and see what it looks like on the camera. So we set up a black sheet behind the table with two little openings in it. Paul shoves his arms through, picks up the bolts, and he goes boom, boom, boom. And Paul is slight. He's like five foot seven and he's not a real big, strong guy. He does this two or three times and you can start to see the shake in his hands because <laughs> these are heavy balls. Yeah. So I said, Well, let me try this. So I get behind there and I can do this all day long, only I have no sense of rhythm. So Paul says, Let me give it one more shot. That's the take we used. And he got it. And we got it. I said to Paul, I said, the sound that we have for that, I said, I I have an idea for the sound. I said, I imagine the bolt hitting the nut as a big clang, but the sound I want is the sound of my wood stove door closing shut at home, being slammed. But I want the wood stove door to be the size of a bank vault door. So it's a real deep resonating sound and i want it to linger and the only thing i can go to is the beatles song a day in the life and the final piano chord okay. i said so if you can take a cast iron door for my wood stove slamming the size of a bank bolt door that has the lingering effect from the beatles day in the life i think you got something he created that signature sound the next time I went up, it was done. And I went, well, that's just amazing. I said, then the guy's voice, I, I, I wrote the script out for the commercial, and I said, the guy's voice, I want a bit of a growl. I want just enough of an authoritative male voice that people believe that this guy knows what he's talking about. And that became our signature voice for all our commercials. Wow.
1: I'm just I'm just looking for your commercial on YouTube that's what I was looking yeah, for Yeah, well they're
0: they're probably out there but I, I have them my, I uh, my, my gift to myself when I left the company is I had them digitized and I said so copy computer of them because I want a copy for my grandkids yeah <laughs> Say, we did this <laughs> no it, and,
1: and it's really interesting is because the, I remember those commercials those commercials were so memorable and it's even better to hear it now that they were so they were produced creatively for next to no money oh yeah in realistic terms because you can't pull that off today like, it'd be difficult. I don't know if anybody well, would offer but that But you're today.
0: pulling off a podcast yeah. with, from what I see, minimal Charm. expense. <laughs> um, Charm. <laughs> listen, I, I, I have to
2: throw this in. Um, I was the whisk kid growing up. so they The whist kid? Yeah. I was, I was the kid that was wearing the white suit with the milk hat on. And what they would do is they would throw mud on me, and they would reverse the mud. Okay. And it did great. It kind of reminds me of that commercial. It's I don't like, remember this. Is it, is it on YouTube? You probably don't even pay attention to anything I did. Oh, you'll, you'll have to send me the link
0: on that one. So, so I'll, I'll go a bit further. We run the ads, and um, a, a fellow by the name of John uh, Salter uh, called me from Barry, and he was an architect, and he says, um, "I want. I love your commercials, and I, I want to. Uh, I want to improve your animation." Wow. And I said. Uh, I guess so, but you know what will this cost me? And he says, I'll do it for free. His architectural company in Barrie owned one of three copies of software for this type of thing. I don't remember the third company, but the other company that owned it, entity, was NASA. <laughs> <laughs> and so what he wanted to do, when I walked into his office, for the first meeting, he had tables of architects, and they were going to do this as a method to learn the software. They did our animation, the teams of architects. As, as a, a training, As, as their, their early CAD cam, right? Yeah. I go into his office and I said, okay, well let's talk about the elements of what has to happen here, and the B splits, and then the, the, you know, it's a round head slotted machine screw with a nut coming onto it. And the first one he did, when I went back for my second meeting, I said, you made it a left-hand thread and, you, and you, gotta, you gotta change it. And he went, how did we miss that? And they never complained. And uh, three days later, I had that on my desk and I approved it and that became our animation for the next wow. uh, couple years of commercials. And then the next piece, because and, 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 that took me into, I mean, again, this is the infancy of computers. I guess two years after John did that, the TV station had new software. Where John's software had cost 300 grand, the TV station had spent, I think, 20,000. You know, it was moving so quickly, right, the the, the law that changes every six months on this. Like, they said we can do things he could never have done, and they did. So I started dreaming up stuff, and the closest I've ever seen to it, which I'm deeply envious, are, are these shows, How's It Made? Oh, I yeah. remember those because yeah. the, the the idea of tumbling nuts and bolts, like an asteroid field, yeah. um, you know, tumbling <laughs> past you. That's what I described to them, and that's uh, you know how they tried to come up with it in the early days. And then you know the other thing we did because things were moving so quickly, we actually changed the company's colors in those commercials. It was always we, orange. We and went from so so the company colors were decided by my mother in 1966. 1966 autumn colors were the thing so the company was chocolate brown and some sort of burnt orange orange burnt orange autumn orange whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. i eventually made the orange a much bolder orange more like a caution sign like a pylon like like something you'd see on a construction site and i turned the chocolate brown into a deeper brown approaching black by the time we finished the commercials, and the last ones I did were probably in, you know, 15 years later. The black was almost total; it was black with a tinge of brown. And the orange was half silver. And the reason was because we had so much rotation and th- movement in the the bee, and all the different elements, and in the which was the head of a, a, a slotted uh, machine screw. Yeah. We put silver into it to make it more interesting. And it, it, it basically it was silver with an orange tint to it. We actually did a Raptors commercial when the Raptors were starting. And, and what I envisioned was I said, I want to hear bounce, bounce, bounce. And a basketball comes in like some kid is dribbling it in the, gym, uh, in the hall on his way to the gym. And it uh, escapes him. And then the doors open up on the gym, and the ball goes into there and hops up through the basket and drops into our logo. (laughs) And I think it ran once, and the Raptors killed it. Did they? And the reason for that, as near as I could understand, is that basketball buys the time slot, and then they sell the advertising. And they didn't want anything competing with the stuff wow. they were going to come up with. Got it. But we already had this commercial in the can, so we're like, we ran it once enough to get fired. That was <laughs> and it. Then they pulled it, and we did something else. But the the, the O in Bravasco was a dimpled basketball in that commercial. Wow. That would have been... 2000, 2001. Oh, my gosh, whenever the Raptors
1: started. Yeah, I think it would have been the beginning there. I'm not a very big That's a long so. time ago, anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But,
0: but this is the infancy of computers, right, and all the graphics and the things you could do. So you dream it, and then you wait for the programs <laughs> to be able to do it three years later. But it's fascinating that you took a
1: business that you, your dad started, and everybody started so young and so long ago, and you had this idea about TV, and you're thinking this will never work, but TV actually propelled... The brand the business
0: so, so you know here's another thing and and, and, and I'll t- tie it again into your customer uh, uh, audience here um, when there was just the yellow pages and you know your audience need to be told what the yellow pages uh, were Yelp that was everything <laughs> back then right but it was the only book yes and it was you it, went to it. it was it was white pages for the uh, the people the, the residential Connor's out there and, and, and all the businesses <laughs> yellow. In the, uh, and the yellow side of it yes. and, and and so when there was one book, all you had to do is pick your two or three categories and you pay them $12 a month forever and you, know, you're, you own that category. And if you want a bigger ad, you pay them $25 a month. When the second commercial phone book came out, and it was a guy I had gone to high school with, and I said, I can support you for a couple years and then I'm going to stop, all phone books. Because once there's a choice of two I have a 50-50 chance to even pick up the right book. You're right. Right? So then a third book came out and I knew I was right. It was gone. It was over. And so what I did then is I took a light type ad for all our categories in every single book in Ontario. So they could always find us. And here's, again, the rationale for that. I thought around, uh, again, you know, who's already solved this problem? Canadian Tire. I said... Canadian Tire doesn't advertise in the yellow pages, right? They don't have to. They're big enough. They believe in themselves enough. We all expect that they're in any town of any reasonable size. You're right. I'm going to take a giant leap forward, an audacious step, and say we're big enough that people will wonder where can they find the local Burfasco. And so I came up with one 888 as a phone number. And then I had to manually link it by exchange, every single exchange in Ontario. It took me like a weekend. But I went through every single exchange and I routed it to the nearest branch, manually. You were doing and then that? I did that. And then they uploaded those at the Bell office wow. and hardwired all those. And it, it, your Pizza Pizza was the ones that had the central sort of number, yeah, right? And they had a call center. Well, what I did was a different version of it. I did the cheaper version of it, which is simply not a call center. I rooted it, hard-coded it to the local branch. And that way we could use one phone number instead of all our branches' phone numbers. And we could get away with our name and that phone number and nothing else. And we cut our phone book advertising drastically. We cut all advertising drastically because we only really had one message to give instead of Twelve and fifteen and eighteen.
2: But yellow pages wasn't that cheap because I have friends that were taking pages on. They were spending sixty thousand a year, and we were spending fifty thousand
0: when I cut it. Yeah. By the time I left, uh, like these guys, you know, I, I booked the advertising for two thousand five. We were spending five hundred grand on TV. Um, wow, that's we a had big no outside chunk of change. Think an outside salesperson costs you hundred grand a year. You got a car, you got expenses, you got salary, right? So it's that's that only five salespeople. A, yeah, getting people out When we out were there. a much smaller company, 10% the size or 20% the size, we had four salesmen. I got rid of those guys and replaced it with their I had the CFO call me up from Chicago when, you know, in, in the years after we sold. And he says, uh, how do you know your TV advertising works? And I said, because we grew because of it. And he says, yeah, but but, like, how do you measure that? And I said, well, what you really want to ask me is can I cut it? Huh. Do you want to be the guy that explains to the sales team why our sales went down when uh, everything was pointing in the direction of up? Do, do you want to be that guy? I said, because if you want to, I'll, t- I'll cut 50 grand to, you know, by, by the end of the week.
1: So they didn't see the value in that expenditure? Well, the CFO didn't. Okay. All
0: right. Okay. But, but we, it wasn't the only thing we did because you know and 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 again this is really important to to contractors we picked locations that were easy to see and easy to get to and easy to get out of that's paramount I personally drove I I picked all the sites so I did that work Um, in my business and personal career I bought sold and leased at least 60 properties Wow okay so I I would go to a town and and drive in and out of every single possible road I could imagine to see all the different pockets of of buildings that were available. And I put a highlighter on a, on a physical paper map and made sure I didn't miss a single street. And once I selected a building, I drove in and out of every single street where I thought I could see the building. And I would turn around, I would pull over with a coffee and I would take pictures and I would say, how far could I see a sign from here? And you know the the Barry building was a perfect one on Patterson, uh, the original one, because there was a building in the way, and all you could see was one foot of the corner of the building. So I put oh. up a one foot wide sign that went that from ground to ceiling, and and it just said fasteners. I love and, your brain. And 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 I just I went at it, and I thought I will do what I can with what I got, and. You know, i made it wow. really visible and accessible you know and, and subconsciously we, we paid more rent to get some of these locations you know because they were better locations some of the them exposure quasi, quasi retail yeah you know and 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 i will tell you the first home depot that opened up on uh, Elsmere and scarborough yeah i know that one uh we went there on the second day and you could hardly get into the place because everybody in canada wanted to go see this thing called Home Depot. On the way out, I said, somebody's going to get killed until these guys pay for a set of traffic lights here because you cannot get back onto Ellesmere. it's, It's just crazy insane. And it crystallized for me the importance of driving in and out of our branch from left and from right and from the back and the side street and every other way I could do it into the building and out of the building to see what our customer's experience would be. Wow. Right? And then I would look at it and say, okay, this building doesn't work because it's too down hard. This one works really well because it's on a corner and they can always use the side street and then come out through the traffic lights. Yeah. Right? And and I, I walked a mile in our customer's shoes and then I picked the building, you know, and then I signed the lease. Um, so so it was really critical. And we had a number of us. I mean, I wasn't the only one, but, but you know, I, I sort of, I was following in the footsteps of my dad and his partner. Who, you know, the guys that can look at you and go, okay, hero. <laughs> um, they, they have a high bar, right? You, you, you do common sense things. And uh, if you don't do them, you'll hear about it. So I did common sense things. The most obvious. Right? Yeah.
1: It didn't sound like there wasn't a solution for every problem. It sounded like there had to be a place to get to a solution for every problem.
0: I could never say the word can't. Mm. I would look at and think, how do I do this? You know, how, how do I solve this problem? And, 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 you know, all the contractors that I ever served over my counter, they would come in and they would say, I got this thing. And it just, <laughs> I thought I did it right. That's I'm, like, hey, one, of the, I'm it? one of those contractors. Yeah. right? Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I've never run into this before, or I did it the way I always do it and it failed. And so, uh, you know, th- this goes to the next thing, which is vendors. I listened to vendors, and you know I didn't just buy product from them. But I would look at them and say, "What have you got?" Because I've got a category of customers who do this one application, and what they're buying from us is are not real happy with. And and sometimes they would come in with like some brand new product. Um, ITW Devcon uh, chemicals. It wasn't a fit for us, really. We could do some with it, but of course ITW Devcon at the time was selling to manufacturers who use skid loads of a particular one thing, okay. or you know maybe three things, but not the whole product line. And, and I would just look at the supplier and say, give me a shot. Let's see what we can do. Train the hell out of me, and then I'll figure out how to tell my staff. If it survives you teaching me and me teaching them, then we should be able to teach the customer. And then we're going to look at it by application and problem solve. We're not going to look at it as a product that you're selling to me and we should sell it to them. We're introducing it. We've got to look at it and say, in this particular situation, this is the right product to use. When you come across this situation, come back to here, we've got this product. And and we constantly went back and forth on that set of discussions. It was just so much fun. I mean, it was so much fun. I was a kid in a candy store every single day. Wow. and, And... Every single product, I mean, go back to my early days, I was renovating a house. So when I'm doing stuff, I'm I'm interested in uh, TAPCONs, early days of TAPCON. I'm interested in tech screws. I'm interested in construction screws for fences and things like this, right? Um, Because I'm applying them in my own house. Yeah. And I've tried it and, you know, um, I mean, I brought in a competitor to TAPCON it just didn't work
1: the same way that it wasn't
0: it, it wasn't matched the drill bit diameter was not appropriate for the screw and so I go to the local police station where they want to put up a set of handrails in the new police building and so I said to the salesman look I don't have tap guns but I got this other product he says how's it work so I drill a hole I shove the screw in, I break the block in half. <laughs> and he looks at me and goes, You've never done a demo before, have you? And I said, No. He says, Well, one, you should practice, and two, I'll take six boxes of them. I can make it work. <laughs> so uh, we eventually got TapCons, it was much easier. <laughs> but, but, you know, it, I think I would have loved to have seen a picture of my face when I broke an architectural block in front of the guy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that cost him, but it was horrifying for me. I think I thought I was going to be a total failure the rest of my life. <laughs> but you sold six boxes. Demo, and then I sold <laughs> six boxes. Right. It was, it was one of those crazy things. So, so what happened over the next 20 some odd years, every single new product that came in, everything that anyone wanted, I said, leave me some samples. And I took them home. And I drilled holes in my garage floor. I, drilled, I I went to the building supply and bought concrete blocks from time to time. I went to the sheet metal guy and I just bought to scraps test, of just steel. To- and I stuck stuff in the vise and ran tech screws through it. And I tried every single one of them. I drilled holes with Yugoslavian drill bits and all kinds of stuff. Ooh, I like that. I made sure <laughs> that I could make the product work knowing my relative incompetence. And if I could make it work, then it probably would work for a contractor. And then the other thing I did is I sampled the hell. I said, give me six packs of these drill bits. I'll give them to the six customers. And if they come back and say, yeah, then it's yeah. And, and so we sampled the hell out of everything. I mean, we were intensely customer focused. And, and it's not at a level where it's just speech. It's DNA level. It's what we believe. And I still do to this day and so I'm always studying the process of customer service and all the elements of it because we control it it's a stage show I talked to my staff early on and I said and and you can go back and look up the date of this but the Phantom of the Opera was coming to Toronto for the first time
1: oh yeah this would have been uh, 89 because so I went that year.
0: I, and, and, and so too did we. Yeah. And so um, my sister worked for uh, Canadian Airlines or, or whoever was bringing it in, and uh, she says, I have an opportunity to get um, half-price seats. Mm-hmm. I said, buy the most expensive ones you can. She said, well, those are box seats. I said, when would you ever get box seats at half price? Exactly. so we went and sat in the box we felt like royalty we developed oh, a little yeah. royal wave <laughs> for sure you know people kept looking at us is, going, that, the, is that the cup
2: <laughs> yeah right exactly i, I was so, with so, the
0: common folk in the middle there so, so people kept looking at us like we should be important and mm. we should be somebody they knew and we were just schmucks from orangeville yeah you know? but the
2: cool part about boxes is you get to go in way before public oh my
0: gosh and at, at the, you're in chairs yeah. You're not even in seats. Yeah. Yeah. You can swivel them around, and you can <laughs> snuggle up, and you can do a bunch of things, right? I mean, like, it's a, a whole different experience. And, and, uh, but, but anyway, uh it make me lose my train of thought on that <laughs> one. It w- it, that was fun, too. I mean, yeah. but, but again, think about it. you get an opportunity, and you look at it and go, okay, how do I extract the maximum value? Well, let's go with the stupid seats at half price because we're never going to do this again. Anyway, so Phantom of the Opera. I've got my train of thought back. Here we go. The, I tell my staff, I said, so you've heard of the Phantom of the Opera. We've all heard the reviews from New York, and it's a success. It's a raving success, and it's coming to Toronto. And we all have anticipated excitement about, wow, it's coming to Toronto, and we're going to get to go. And the day they announce it, it's a full page in the Toronto Star. It's a black page with a white mask and not much else and we call the number, and we get tickets. And the excitement's building, and then the envelope comes in, the mail, with the tickets in it, and it's got the black background and the white mask, and we open it up, and there's the tickets, and there's black tickets with the (laughs) white mask, and we're branding 101, repeat, repeat, repeat. We stick them in a place of prominence on the fridge with its own fridge magnet. Wow, you three young kids, right? I mean, it's a big <laughs> deal when you place a province. And we stare at those tickets for three months, till we're finally going to be able to go. The day of the event, we dress up, shave. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's a big deal, and we put on nice clothes. And we've got uh, another couple that we're going with. I think maybe my sister and brother-in-law, but but anyway, we, we you get downtown Toronto for a kid from Orangeville. That's already a big deal. That's a huge deal. You're driving up the street, and there's the Pantages Theatre. And it's got the little blinking lights all around the marquee. It's got the white background, and then the black, and then the white mask. And you go, oh my gosh, there it is. And it's the Pantages, which has been written up as being fully renovated, and it's going to be a fantastic venue. So the anticipation, the excitement is building, building, building. We get in the parking lot, we race around the corner. The, the staff is standing outside wearing tuxedos and, and they guide you in and you, you're, you're met with you know, red velvet and, and gold and, and, and it's just fantastic. And there's a hush when you step inside the outside doors and, and you start walking up the ramp and the carpet's new and it's plush and it's just, every piece of it is fitting nicely we get greeted we get the pamphlet the pamphlet is a black outside with a white mask on the front of it wow you can hear the band tuning up you can hear the familiar strains two weeks before the show i would bought a cd we worn it out already (laughs) we listened to all the songs now we hear the band practicing those very songs if we were any closer when we walk into our seats they'd make us play an instrument (laughs) wow (laughs) right i mean this is a big deal Red carpet, there's the chandelier.
2: Walking up the stairs.
0: If we had <laughs> never, if there'd never been a show that night, we already had got our money's worth. Wow. Then the curtain goes up. There's those famous sets. And they've spent months getting ready for an audience, and they've built the sets, and they've hired and cast the right people, and they've rehearsed the hell out of them, and the costumes are fantastic, and every element has been planned for and rehearsed and prepared for our our entertainment i use that story hundreds of times to train my staff we have a marquee name on every one of our buildings we send out our advertising through flyers radio and tv when the customer is finally going to get a chance I said, I, I, I have this vision in my head that the kid is 13 years old, and he's doing his homework, laying on, on the living room floor in front of the television. And along comes our ad. And when now he's 22, and his boss says, go get me some of these. And the only name in his head is ours, Yeah. right? And so the anticipation, he finally has a reason to go visit our place, and he's seen it on TV, and he wonders what he's going to run into. I said, well, we better be prepared for this guy, because when the curtain goes up, it's showtime. And so we put a chime on every single door, a little magnetic bell, and when the door opened, it always went bing. And so nobody could hide the fact that the customer had entered. And that was the sound of the curtain going up. And whatever else you were doing, you stop, and you pay attention to the customer. I don't care what else you do. You're stocking shelves in preparation of customers coming in. Well, here's a live one. Look after them. All right? So we did those things all the time. And that was, it was a, it's just repeat. You you just, just a make presentation. Once you you make script. everything fun. Well, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You spend too much time there to not no, have fun. No, but just,
2: just listening to you, it, it's fun.
0: Well, then it was. Yeah. It just was.
2: I, you're very inspiring for your, for your whole Well,
0: and and, and so we wanted to, you know, the, the, the judge, jury, and executioner of every business is the customer. You're so right. Right? The customer decides whether you'll survive, and they decide at their driveway, not yours. It's true. Right? They look at it and go, ah, that's too much trouble, or they won't have it, or whatever. And they flip the coin at their driveway. So you gotta win the battle of their mind and their heart constantly and each order you take today is the audition for the next order. You're earning the right to, to get repeat business. So customer service is all that and every single contract, I mean, I talk You're about- You're so right. Kurt, Kurt Snell, the, uh, Kurt did this sunroom at our place. There was never a conversation with Kurt over many months where he wasn't reaffirming to me that we made the right decision to Hi. hire him to Hi. do the job yeah. right he was always giving further evidence of his craftsmanship his thought his care his imagination his design work he never came to me with the problem that he didn't have a solution already in his back pocket Know, and, and that's so critical. And, and so here's the thing about a stage show like the Phantom of the Opera or a stage show like a business, any business, if you're going to do it night after night, if the curtain's going to go up day after day, <laughs> then bloody prepare for it. It's not an accident. You don't wake out of bed you know, the, the, on, the, on the 22nd year of your existence as a business and go, I wonder how we'll do it today. No. You know, we haven't found 10,000 ways to do this. You're Let's s- make it work. Let's prepare. Let's manage the elements of a great customer experience. You're, you're
2: so right because I see the customer. They love to see you early on the job. They're looking forward to you coming in and finishing their house. Yes. They're excited. The last thing you want to do is have them, oh, here comes that asshole. He's going to be in my house screwing up everything. I just want him out. Like, what you're saying is the experience every homeowner wants to go through.
0: I run this thing called Happy Boss now. Why Why? why yeah, I, wanna, I wanted to
1: get into Happy Boss, but I just wanted to make sure. Do you have any questions before we kind of leave that segment? Oh, dude, I could go on. Well, but you
0: got to ask Bob. So I, so, don't wanna
1: well,
2: I don't
0: want to so, stop. I don't so want to th- stop. I'll return to it, but, but I'll give you this. When I stepped away from the business, I had to figure out what's my next stage We sold the business in 2000, I was 40. I run it for four more years, I'm 44. I've been doing some version of this, it's been occupying my heart, mind and time since I was six. So one of the reasons I left was simply, what does the rest of my life look like? I have other things I want to do and the business has taken up so much time, I don't have, I've never had this freedom of schedule. Now I do. I should take advantage of it. I have the freedom of health. Good for you. I should take advantage of it. And my wife put up with so much crap in all that time, all those long hours, you know, she's running the kids to hockey practice. Right? The customer or the employee that snags me with, you know, something they gotta talk about at, at quarter to six in Brampton mm-hmm. means I don't head for Orangeville till seven o'clock. And by then right. I've missed dinner. Mis- I mean, my wife carried a tremendous burden through all that, right? So I looked at when at, at forty-four, I thought, you know what? Uh, the next bunch belonged to her uh, and my kids, you know. So, so I am the luckiest guy on the planet that I had the opportunity to indulge that. I got to do both so right. things, and you know. And, and my dad, you know, my dad was sixty-two when he passed. Uh, in four weeks, I'll be older than my dad was, right? I mean, and I've had a ball for these years. I've been out of my business as long as I was in it this October. Wow. Oh, that's interesting. Right? And uh, so what did I do with that's my time? Amazing. And, and, and it, it, it's been um, just the, the, the best journey. And, and, and really, you know, I, I always, always, always am grateful for the opportunities been given to me. And, and I quote to my kids all the time, and of course, you know, they're, they're kind of tired of it, but uh, <laughs> to those whom much is given, much is expected. So you know, we started, um, when I sold the business and stepped away, that, that uh, uh, weekend in October, it happened to be Thanksgiving Friday, um, we had supported a local um, uh, youth shelter, and uh, I'd never been there before, so you know, that Friday, I went to the youth shelter. Developed a relationship with them and was able to help them over the next number of years, and and so, you know, I finally had the time, and then I bought myself a really good camera, and I started taking pictures. I wore out a really good Nikon camera, and I went to them and said the button didn't work anymore, and they said, well, um, they do wear out. I said, really. Like, what do you design them for? He says, 150,000 pictures. I said, that'd be about right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to buy myself another good camera. Uh, we started traveling eight to 10 weeks a year. And uh, we took the kids backpacking to Europe. And, uh, oh, cool, cool idea for everybody if you ever travel with your kids. We had um, our three kids, my wife and I, and my son's uh, fiancé at the time from his first marriage. I said, we're going to pick six major stops, and each one of you is going to be the tour guide for that stop. Oh, I like that. Ah. We're two nights in each place. So the first place, I think, was Venice, followed by a place uh, called Cortona in Tuscany, Mm -hmm. where under the Tuscan sun, uh, the author, Francis Mays, lived. We went to Garmisch-Partenkirchen, Uh, In the Austrian Alps, uh, Bavarian Alps, I'll be corrected on that. Uh, We went to Fussen, where the uh, Cinderella Castle is in the Bavarian Alps. Uh, We went to Munich. And so each member of the family, and and we went to uh, Innsbruck. So each member of the family took charge of the family for two days. We picked the accommodations. We we had rail (laughs) passes and backpacks. (laughs) And as we got off the train station, my wife and I look up and down the street, we pick a hotel. That's where we're staying tonight. And then their job was to give each family member a two-page on where we were. (laughs) And sit us down for 15 minutes and tell us. Mm -hmm. So here's the history of the place, the population, what it's famous for. Here's three things we're going to do. And you have to have a little insight of a map, and you have to get us there. And so my youngest son at the time, I think, was 23, and suddenly he's in charge of the family for two days for the first time. Did he love it? Yes. (laughs) And, you know, he took us in Innsbruck into the inner court of a castle, and he knew there was a restaurant in the back there, and we needed to have one of those great big pretzels and a German beer, (laughs) or an Austrian beer at that time, I guess, but but, but, he was in charge of the family. And then he found a great museum, uh, so we went to that museum. And another one took us you know to, to uh, a different museum, and they wanted to see a particular cathedral. And so we let the family be in charge of two days each. And wow, that's uh, so cool. it was just a great bonding experience for us. And, and you know the kids hated it when I told them. But I said, "You're all so busy running around with your jobs. You won't, won't even remember you went to Europe. So I'm going to give this to you so that you know at least one of the towns mm-hmm. you hit. <laughs> and then when they came home, I'm listening to them brag and tell all their friends about it and say, oh, this is really cool. I was in charge of Innsbruck. So, you know, I took the family here. I took them there. And, uh, you and know... And you get to know something about them that you might not think you know. Well, they showed leadership. Yeah, yeah. They showed creativity. They yeah. showed detail.
2: Their personality.
0: Yeah, so, so, I mean, this is sort of the applied thing that we did at work. I mean, everything's a human experience. And people, you know, when, when I first looked at our business model of Burfasco, I said, you know, we're wholesale, what is that exactly? And every one of our customers has been trained by retail experiences and now we want them to adopt to a wholesale model, whatever that is. But we've all, we became customers sitting in a shopping cart, grabbing at the gum at the cash in the grocery store why do we think that the set of buttons that has worked in us for 20, 30, 40 years should suddenly be a different set of buttons because we're wholesale? Why should we have to tolerate less than good customer service? And why should we have to tolerate stuff being hidden around in the back? And why yeah. should we have to tolerate not being able to pick something up and ask somebody a question about it, right? Retail would do that. So, why don't we just borrow the retail model and apply it to our business and stop worrying about wholesale and retail? It's outdated.
1: So, everything was done through the perspective of the customer. Everything. 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 So, whenever you were trying to pose a question, someone had a question, you were always asking yourselves, I guess, internally and then also externally, what is the purpose of this for the customer? The customer, and how is the customer going to engage with this? How is that going to work? Customer
0: is judge, jury, and executioner. Actioner, yeah. And profits are a byproduct of a happy customer. But I I think what's
2: even more important is that as contractors or business people in general, we get caught up with all the politics of business, whatever level it may be, commercial, residential, personal, and you get out of touch. And the one thing that you're, you're keeping it fresh and positive, because most of these experiences aren't positive. There's so many negatives it's to all of these a pages. It's difference between a and a career. Yeah.
0: It's a difference between doing a job and being a professional. You really got to love... What, what I think you're saying
2: is you really got to love what you do, no matter what you choose to do.
0: And, and, and so uh, I'll, I'll give you a way to look at that. There was a moment uh, in 2002, we we're bringing a new guy on board, and so I take the CEO and the two of us go off to the airport and pick this guy up from Chicago. John hops in the back seat. And he's a really seasoned veteran of the industry. And we're on our way to go see another place that we're looking to buy. The CEO looks at me and says, uh, by the way, he says, for the next little while, he says, um, if you guys spend any cash on a capital item, I need you to call me. Anything over a 1000 bucks." Now, I bought and sold buildings. And now I have a thousand dollar limit, leash, right? So I tolerate that for the second because we got a new guy in the back uh-huh. and I get home and I am really pissed. And I'm, I said to my wife, I said, they clearly don't need me because they've diminished just in an afternoon. He diminished my entire essence. He's taken away all my authority, all my ability to do my job. And he's taken away my self-confidence and he's, Oh, I'm just, I'm done.
2: Did you fire <laughs> so on that's the way to work him. the next day,
0: I'm, I'm going in to, fu- to quit.
2: Oh, not fire him, but quit.
0: I'm, I'm in there to quit because he didn't need me anymore, clearly. I have a 45-minute commute. Around the 37-minute mark, a realization creeps into my head. I walk into the office, and I, I said, uh, got a minute? He says, sure. Now, that's often ominous. And then the other thing I did is I I got up and I closed the door behind me, and he goes, "Whoa!" Nah. And I said, "It's official. You almost <laughs> lost me today. I was coming in here to quit." He's like, "What?" I go, "What you said to me in the car yesterday might have been innocent enough to you, but I've just wrestled with it for twelve hours, and I got the impression that you were, you know, putting me on a very short leash, and you were." you know, basically diminishing my ability to do my job. And it pissed me off, and I was coming in to quit. But fortunately, I have a 45-minute commute. And I realized somewhere along the line that the only thing in the way here, if I give you credit for having a second half of the story you couldn't tell because we had a guest with us, is I might quit on Friday and feel good about it for a minute or two, and no way I'm putting up with that. There's no way I'm tolerating that. But my replacement on Monday would just consider it part of the job. Hmm. So the only place there's a problem is between my ears. And if I would adjust my attitude and give you more credit that you will eventually tell me the rest of the story, then perhaps I can get my head wrapped around how I work under these conditions. And he said, I'll tell you exactly why. He says, my company's up for sale. And we need to conserve cash in the two combined companies for a while to rebuild our balance sheets for when we sell. So I don't want you spending the cash that I need in my company in the US uh, to, to facilitate a sale. And I went, well, sorry about your luck. <laughs> you mm. know, But uh, for me, I'll go back to that. It's a really important thing. Sometimes we get ourselves worked up and we say, I'm not putting up with that shit. I don't have to deal with that. And your friends, neighbors, and family will all tell you, and they'll, they'll be your biggest cheerleaders. Yeah. Why are you putting up with that? You deserve and, more. And, and I, I reframe the question as I normally would do and said, how do I go forward, right? I took it into my Rubik's Cube model, and I twisted and turned it for 37 minutes, and I came up with this realization. My replacement would consider this reasonable. So what am I not seeing? What adjustment must I make? So I did that, and I worked there f- with them for another two and a half years. When did And then t- fired them? No. no. <laughs> then, then, then I stepped away into a part-time role. And the reason I stepped into a part-time role, uh, somebody from the board of directors came up, And I realized we were just a page in a book for him. And I said, uh, I had a bit of a passionate talk. We talked about our five-year plan and all the other stuff and and, uh, the idea that um, there were lots of challenges in front of us, but we felt we could hit these numbers over a five-year period and we would make back what they lost on the sale of that US company. He said, yeah, yeah, it's just business, it's okay. And I said, don't ever say it's just business to me. He said, why? I said, because my staff cares and my staff will get this done. I care. I will get it done. I said, but if you diminish our care by dismissing it with mm-hmm. the phrase, it's just business, I can't work here anymore. I said, don't ever offend me like that because I've given up parent-teachers meetings. I've been late for hockey practices. I've been late for my own hockey games. I've made my wife wait for me for dinner. I've eaten cold dinners. Don't ever tell me it's just business.
2: eaten by yourself.
0: We cared so yeah. much to make these things happen that you bought our company. And we care so much that we've increased our sales 50%. And we cared so much that we are a really good successful company for you. Don't ever tell me it's just business. because And I went home that night, and my wife was away on a conference for a couple of days. And I decided to quit. I went in the next morning, I quit. Good for you. And I, I said, I, I, I just, the team's got it. The team can sustain this from forward. It doesn't need so much of me. But it does. Right. It really does. Well, and all those people really does. needed but, but, you. But, but we hired yeah. people that were kind of like me, right? That no, we, nobody's ever like you. Well, but but you, you try. And you model it. And you say, you know, and, and you create the culture. Don't forget, the culture is much bigger than any one person. It may be driven and created by one person, but it's s- sustained by people that, that find a place to happen.
2: Well, I worked in the club industry, not that it's, it's a very small little industry compared to yours, but what I learned in the restaurant and entertainment business is that when you have a certain staff, people will keep coming back for that staff. Yes. Once you change one person in that mathematical equation, yes. the whole business falls. I agree. So you were a major part of this business. Oh, yeah.
0: But, but we had a team that was... No, I know. But uh, I, I just mean, think I, it's very I, important I, to share. I reflect on this for 17 yeah. years. We had an awesome team. Yeah. I mean, I, I, had, I just had so many good people. I mean, we, we, we hired a lot. I, I listen again to, to a couple of your podcasts. We hired an awful lot of farm kids. Oh, get get Carlito right. uh, fa- about that. We, we, I don't want. We we hired almost nobody with more than a grade twelve of education, because what we wanted was relatively simple. Look after our customers on Monday, like you look after your good friends on on the weekend. And farm kids, when there's nothing to do, will pick up a broom and sweep the floor. Mm-hmm. They they, when you work on a farm, and I don't know if it's Murphy's law or what, but but. Break-ins always happen at the least comfortable time. They always happen in the least comfortable place. The tractor never breaks down six feet from a toolbox. Oh, my God. It breaks down in the third field back. My tractor
2: broke down last week in the middle of my raspberry bush. <laughs> right? I mean,
0: you, you, the, the, the time walking back to the shop is a good time to reflect on life choices. Oh my God! <laughs> and, and and you know the the circumstances, and you go. I just don't like the way this is turning out today, and it probably started to rain too. I mean, just it's all those things, right? So you look, and go, okay. I need to plan better. I swear, he just like, I was right there. <laughs> well, and and so, uh, th- this is. Um, when you hire farm kids, they're resourceful. And when the, when the breakdown happens in the third field, they look around and go, what can I do to limp this back to the garage? Right? So they grab a piece of wire or string, and they just tie it together and they say, this isn't a permanent fix, this only gets me half a mile. But it's a critical half mile, otherwise I'm walking this twice, and the second time with tools in my hand. So I don't wanna do that, I go grab a piece of wire. And, and so, you know, th- th- this is how you cobble together solutions. Well, that's exactly who you want serving your customers because they look at it and say, well, let's work on this together. We can figure this out, right? Many things are just transactions. Oh, my God, you're so funny. But when somebody has an actual problem to solve, you want creative people. Yes, you do. And you want people who care enough to stay with you all the way through the solution. And you want people that are approachable enough that you... Enjoy the experience. I had a staff member tell me at one point, he <laughs> says, you have the ability to tell somebody to F off in such a way that they look forward to the trip. <laughs> wow.
2: i never heard it that way, even, but I love it. <laughs> right? I mean, but
0: <laughs> why was it fun? You're it just positive. Fun. You're, You know what?
2: It doesn't matter where
0: you're at and what's the circumstance you're just you find a positive so so i am the happy boss okay yeah so when i stepped away from the business i thought the part i enjoyed the most of the business is solving problems and helping people get to where they already want to go all right i didn't have to compete with them with ideas and vision i just looked at and said what do you want to do let me help you do it where do you want to go let me help you get there i learned that with my employees by the way Uh, there was a day When you ask the question, you know, what did my dad feel about all these branches? I think my dad was curious. I think he was satisfied and kind of thrilled by the recognition and the achievement the novelty of the fact that we were doing this thing and it actually worked. (laughs) I remember that I I bought everybody company jackets one year and they were, you know, the the sort of gold suede uh, sleeves and and the black felt uh, uh, body, and the Berfasco logo on it. Like a varsity jacket. Yeah, right. So 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 we I buy had a Chevy jacket like that. And, and, and my dad came <laughs> into work one day and he says, "Okay, I don't know what this is. You tell me." But but I was at the mall. I'm walking up to the door and a guy looks at me and he grabs the door and opens it for me and says, "Okay, Berfasco, you go in first <laughs> And, you know, sort of like, hey, Brofasco, you're here. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. let me hold the door for you, right? My dad's going, well, what's that? And I said, we're the good guys. And we wear the white hats. <laughs> and the commercial is conferring onto you the minor celebrity status that goes with being on TV. Yeah. And so they can go home and they can say to wow. someone, you know that company on TV? I held the door open for the president of that company last night.
2: Oh, my God. Right?
0: We conferred to our customers the minor celebrity status that goes with being on TV. That's kind of cool. It's so small but so huge. Isn't it? Wow. It occupies your brain. You can't get that out of there. And, and you know, in the, in the humdrum of a day, you go home and you sit down and they say, how's your day? And you go, you know those guys on TV? They called on me today. <laughs> me. <laughs> right? That's a big deal. It costs you nothing it costs you nothing you ju- you're just treating people the way people want to be treated we came up with a phrase and and i have a good friend dave leahy has this this uh tool whereby you understand people's personality traits and their preferences it's called predictive success they're in uh, markham and uh pickering maybe oshawa uh, east end but they go coast to the coast and uh i think it was dave that coined the phrase but but uh it was simply an ad- adoption of the golden rule, do unto others as they prefer to be done unto. And it's a great phrase. You want a way to measure everything? You look at it and say, well, do customers like being recognized by their first name when they walk into a place, rather than be anonymous? No, they want to be if, recognized. If you, s- w- if, if, yeah. if you see someone go, hey, Manny, from across the street, well, does Manny feel good? Of course. It feels right? great. So so I, I told my staff way back when, I said, it's really simple. All our desks face the front glass. When the truck comes up and it says Joe Smith Plumbing on it, and you recognize it's Joe, and his shirt says Joe, you look at him and go, hey, Joe Smith Plumbing, how are you doing? Such a simple thing. I said, thing. this is Cheers. The TV shows Cheers. Yeah. I said, hey, Norm. Know, every place that you... like. We reward the fact that you are you, and we recognize it, and we value it, and everybody knows your name, and, and it's easy to know their name. You can cheat. But, it, 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 but the, you did
2: something more important. You built a quality name. You built a name that people trust and respect. Yeah. But not everyone on TV could pull that off. Right? Not
0: just our name, though. It's, right, it's every customer, because the, and, and I told the guy, oh, I was so upset with one customer, you know, because he, he, all our invoices were handwritten. And he spelled the customer's name wrong. I said, come on over here. I (laughs) took the invoice and I walked over to the window. I said, see that building there? That's his building. That's his name on the building. Did you spell it right? No. It's on the side of his building. When you next time want to write out an invoice, go over to this window, look out there at the sign on the building and write it down the proper way. All we have in life is our name. Whether it's our name, our brand, our our truth, our our reputation. You sully that. If you don't value that, if you don't respect that, I mean, what are you doing?
2: It's your word, your name. It's core.
0: It's core. So old
2: school, but so strong. It's amazing.
0: So I I have this phrase that, that I tell everybody. Technology is revolutionary and people are evolutionary we haven't changed very much. We still respond to the same things. We still hit, hit our thumb with a hammer and we still swear and bleed, right? That, that hasn't changed. The hammer may be you know highfalutin new technology, but we as are human beings are exactly the way we were 100 years ago. Yeah. A 1,000 years ago, we are evolutionary. So why would you need to change those basic human elements? Recognize and respect somebody and say their name? You're their new best friend. So another training exercise I would do with people is I would say, when was the last time you had really good service, really exceptional service? And I would look around my room of you know, 10, 12 staff, and, and the blank stares. i go, so let me help you a bit further let's define what exceptional service looks like. So let's say that you, you, um, you, know, you went into some place and some business somehow or another knew your name, shook your hand, and they thanked you for your order, and they made eye contact, and they uh, got your stuff quickly and in a bit of a hurry so that they wouldn't keep you waiting. They valued your time. They spelt your name right on the invoice. They uh, offered to help you with something else. They introduced you something else that would solve a problem. They asked you if you had any other problems where they might have another solution for you. They just made you feel good, and they also told you at the end of the counter there's fresh coffee while you wait. I mean, wouldn't that be pretty good service? That'd be great. When was the last time you experienced that? Well, I I
2: should, my, my Sherwin Williams rep, he has been awesome to me, and I was just, when you were talking, and I was thinking for an answer, it automatically came up that he gave me the best customer service, automatic, always gets back to me. Yep, It's hard to find, you're okay. right.
0: So, so here's what would happen as a training exercise for my staff. Usually people couldn't come up with an answer even then. And I would say, so first of all, before I give you the easy answer, I would point out a couple of things. One, every element I described was free Those things are really, really simple. It's true. They're only care. Yeah. Right? It's a strategy. It's a care. They're free. But they're free. Free. You don't have to pay for these things. You just got to do them as a normal human interaction (laughs) element. The second thing, it's so rare that you get it that wouldn't it be a competitive advantage if we did it? 100%. 100%. Oh, my God. It's so obvious. It's it wouldn't, brilliant. It, it, Bob, it
1: wouldn't even right. just stand out in the day. It's going to stand out in the week. If not, it's going to stand out in the month. Right.
0: So I said, I'll give you the simplest answer. The last time any of you got really good service was when you took your significant other out for a fancy dinner to celebrate her birthday or her anniversary. And you paid too much for a meal. And you got the upper class waitstaff. staff. <laughs> This is probably the only time in your life you ever experience what I hope to deliver to our customers every single day. And it's free.
2: Wow. It's
0: true. Not hard, eh? Well, true.
2: And, and you know what? Every time I've been going to your former store for decades. So I used to do commercial work. One of the things I always, I always had customer service there. The guys were always fantastic there. Yeah. But one thing I always looked forward to was the bin in the middle. And you guys would put a bin together of random things, and I would buy the whole rack because I'd get it for a deal. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: But it was fun. Many people are driven by the cheapest price. And as a culture, we are now, I think, paying the unintended consequences of that Supply chains are really extended. We're getting dubious quality stuff. It may be a cheap price, but it's also a cheap product. It's not an inexpensive product, it's a cheap product, and there's a tremendous difference. So uh, I would argue that you know, the race to the bottom on price is really not what you wanted to do. No. I told our staff, I said, we charge an extra nickel. The only challenge for us is to earn the extra nickel. It's not hard, fortunately. Say the guy's name, thank him, shake his hand, see you next week, take a coffee with you. We earn the nickel. All right. And we, we came up, I, 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 I dreamt up the, uh, oh, these are all the trade secrets. Oh, my gosh, I'm glad it's Let 17 them. Out. Years I hate ago. Them. Um, I came back from a couple branches one day, and I was really frustrated. And I said, I'm just, I can't, these guys just don't get it. And so I I took a a lined yellow pad and I wrote down customer service, the Burfasco way. And I wrote out 10 elements of of customer service. And I still have that yellow pad at home. And then I typed it out and I distributed it across the company and it found its way into the front page of our training manual. The first thing was greet every customer by name and smile. Right. The last thing was thank them for their order. Right, A middle one was help them to whatever they came in for or the proper thing instead. Wow, that's a
2: huge one. Right? Yeah. Don't just sell them
0: what you have. They're right? selling no, the it, right it, thing. Sell, they ask for this, but then you look at it and say it's an opportunity to ask them what they're doing. And say, have you ever considered these? You know what? I know you're going to use lag bolts and lag shields. Have you ever seen a sleeve anchor? Sleeve anchor allows you to cut your install time in half and no callbacks. And it never works works its way loose. Like, would you like to try a sleeve anchor for this job? Oh, by the way, you use a smaller diameter drill bit. So it's a lot less effort, a lot less time, a lot less expense. Would you like to try a couple? Of course, I'll, 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 spot, <laughs> I'll spot you six for this job. Wow! Right, and we gave them a free hand to sample the hell out of the customers. Because once you sold them the first six or gave them the first six, he's buying a box of hundred the They're next sold time for good, I right? Because you were the new way to do the job, right? And we were always anticipating this. I go back to that Phantom of the Opera thing. It's a stage show. You're putting it on every single day. Your, your job, your responsibility to your own success and survival is to prepare all the elements. It's not a surprise customers came in. It's not a surprise when you open up at 7 a.m. that the coffee should already be made. That means putting it on at 10 to 7. And
2: and the customer's not waiting around. Right, Right?
0: it's not hard. That's what we do, we need to prepare for it. And I will go this way with contractors of all sorts. You do it for a living. I'm buying this type of job once every 25 years should I tell you how to do your job not a chance I should ask you what you would do in your own home and then I should get out of your way right I've met I've had this discussion with family members one I'm married to and I would say uh, don't tell them how to do it tell them what you'd like to accomplish and leave the details to them I would like a fireplace on this wall. Stop. They'll ask you the relevant questions. They know how to do this. This They'll is give what you the they options, do for a yeah. living, right? But I would like a fireplace. Okay. Well, it's living. not a window. I know the difference. And uh, would you like stone? Would you like ceramic? You know, would you like a wood beam? Like, let them do that. They do it for the a curtain. Living. The curtain. The presentation. Right. And and, and I, I deal with real estate agents, and, and I say to them. You buy and sell a house every week. I buy and sell a house every seven years. I think I'll, I'm willing to concede you know more about this than I do. Guide me through the process, right? Help me be your customer. Take me to a successful conclusion. Don't lay it on me and go, well, you never asked. That's just silly, yeah. right? I mean, if you do it for a living, prepare it, be the Phantom of the Opera, any stage show, anything at all. And, and, you know, hire the right cast, build the right sets, imagine a great story, rehearse the hell out of it, find a great venue to happen. Enjoy you know, it. And enjoy it. Show the joy to the audience because yeah. you're going to do it, you know, six times through the week and twice on Sunday. So, you know, have fun because that's what attracts people, right? Nobody wants to go to a place where they feel, you know, the, the only place like that is a funeral home. And even Ooh. then, you could put a spin on it. You can, you really can. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right? But you have to be that character. You have to be <laughs> the
2: right. We, yeah. we got
1: to get close to wrapping up. It's just been over two hours. I don't want to stop, Manny. I know I don't want to stop either. That's the thing about speaking with Bob. It's just like you listen to these these gems.
2: Well, I haven't. I have. Like I want to get the, the questions. I know. I, I want to get the
1: brief, just a breakdown on Happy Boss and where it started, Bob, and 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 why and what what exactly are you doing with happy boss.
0: A month after I stepped away from the business, uh, we'd gotten back from our first trip, and uh, I called up uh, Ken Kerr from Mono Arts and Graphics Printing in Orangeville, and uh, they had done all our flyers, uh, all our business cards, since they had started in, I think, 1978 or thereabouts. It was a business owned by Ken, his wife Madeline, and daughter Tamine, and they've just sold the business in the last year or two. Ken and Madeline are no longer with us, but uh, I I called up Ken and I said, Ken, I have no idea what I'm going to do next, but you were a supplier that I valued, and I feel like what I want to do in my next stage of life is help other people, uh, other businesses. I want to give them the benefit of my several decades of experience here and pay you back a little bit for for all the times you you know did a rush delivery for us or you inputted with a good idea. So you buy me lunch and I'll give you an afternoon, no charge. And so we go out for lunch, three or four hours. And we talked about every element of his business. And I told him what I thought he did really well and I told him where I thought maybe he could be a little stronger. And then after about two hours, he pulled out financial statements from his pocket and he said, uh, do you do these i said yeah i do financials (laughs) (laughs) so um i looked at them and 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 i said so if i do a quick read on this um you make more money on the stuff you subcontract than the stuff you do in-house your profit margins 50 percent higher he says yeah he says because my i think his brother and sister-in-law owned a place in brampton much larger and so if they subcontracted invoices to them and somebody you know, got 20,000 invoices, there was a significant profit margin because that other company was set up to handle huge volumes. And I said, well, my first piece of advice is to become a full spectrum supplier. Don't ever let anyone get out the door with just business cards. Make sure you always sell them their invoices too. Take all the two categories, make sure all your literature points out that you do both. Yeah. and you'll be more profitable. And then the next thing we talked about was uh, his daughter taking over the business. And I said, well, I think she's more than capable. And she's, she's fantastic to deal with. She's, she cares you know, beyond, she's so capable. I said, I only have one question as a guy who works for his father. Have you asked her if she wants to? That's an important question. Wow, that is the biggest question, right? I mean, it's crazy. So, so from there, I A call lot of assumptions
1: up, at that point sometimes in well, family, yeah, right? Yeah,
0: because you know, it's just the way you do it, right? Yeah. And and at the same time, I think you need to have the illusion of choice, yeah. <laughs> even if it's not really a choice. But but you know, for a moment, like, yeah, I had to start my business for nine years before I was trusted in my dad's business. Had I started. And matter of fact, when I showed up at my dad's business, I was 27 and I'd worked with all those guys when I was thirteen and fourteen. They'd seen me coming in and out of the door for all these years, right? I'm still the kid. I decided to break with tradition, and I wore a jacket and a tie every day for six months. And then I never wore them again. But I broke the cycle. I just carved out my own identity, and then I didn't have to anymore. But wow. I couldn't be the kid anymore. That's so brilliant. So jacket and tie, everything. Th- and I'm meeting all the benders, right? So I put a better face on it than, yeah. you know, some guy walking up in a T-shirt to have yeah. a meeting with a guy in the hallway. I, d- I did, I just elevated the, you know, the performance. But once I'd done that, I put the jacket and tie away. I went, oh, God, I never want to do that again. You know, and occasionally I had to, but, but you know, I didn't do it every day anymore. Um, so so th- anyway, Happy Boss, I, I, I call up uh, Mark McCarthy. And Mark McCarthy owned McCarthy Signs. She just sold that in the last year. And she had done nine branches worth of our signage. I was driving up Highway 10 one day in, I was in Primrose and I saw a billboard and I pulled over and I wrote down the number and I called McCarthy Signs. And I said, "Um, you have a billboard on uh, the, the east side of Highway 10, just south of Primrose, a couple miles. She said, I'm familiar with the billboard. It's one of ours. And uh, I said, um, I'd like to talk to who did that sign. And she said, well, I did. I said, well, when you say I did, she said, no, I am the designer and it is my company. My husband installs for me, but you know, I'm the designer. I said, well, I wanna bring that energy from that sign, that vibrancy to our signs. Our signs are flat, they're technically competent, but they're not inspiring. I need to work with you. If you'll work with me, I want to come see you. So I mean, I drove in and saw her. And so you know, th- we did these nine branches, maybe more. I mean, they went to Kingston and installed signs, a you know, big, long trailer. And the Burfascos were 20 feet long. The, in Newmarket, the bees facing the 404 were nine feet square, Ooh. illuminated. Wow. And the landlord called me, and he says, uh, about your sign, I said, yeah. He says, they're really big. (laughs) I said, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, We're beside the 404. It's going to be great for business, eh? And he says, yeah, but but really big. I said, yeah, it'll help us pay your rent. (laughs) He says, well, yeah, okay, they're really big. (laughs) I said, did they get the second one up yet? He goes, oh, God, no. (laughs) 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 Right? So... uh,
2: Oh you, knew how to, you know how to change the energy right around. <laughs> right. I mean,
0: well, I, I got it most of the way there, and then you know, so so. Marg McCarthy, I, I I ended up having a paying gig with Marg. We met a number of times, and she bought me a number of lunches, and uh, and actually paid an invoice. and She was the first one, and uh, I, I just I, I helped her solve some problems in her business, and so I do this with a half a dozen more businesses, and then I finally meet up with a, an IT guy and and. Uh, I have a team, my, my, my daughter, who's very creative, and, and uh, uh, she's helping me with all this, and uh, Karen, who's my assistant, has worked for the family for, since 1986, she does all her books and admin work, four from the, the IT side, and I said, so this is what I wanna do, and this is what I envision with Happy Boss, a subscriber-based business, Uh, lots of video, YouTube videos, whatever, and uh, blogs and podcasts and um, uh, links to articles and news articles. And I just simply want to help a whole bunch of small businesses be better versions of themselves. I want them to be more profitable. I want them to be happier about what they're doing. I want to give them solutions to problems. And I said, you know, when when I think about my own life, uh, my mother thought I could do no wrong. And my dad, you know, would look at me and go, oh, what now, hero, hero. right? So, so um, uh, he wasn't sure I'd ever get it right. Mm-hmm. And, and he told me once, he says, the only time you screw up is when you try to improve on my advice, right? <laughs> <laughs> great, great. So um, I said, I want to give people somewhere to get advice they need in the moment without the fear of exposing themselves, without making themselves vulnerable to a family member, or a friend, I don't want them to expose themselves to a competitor, I want them to get the advice sort of one-on-one, anonymously, uh, I want to give them a place to do it at a cost they're willing to pay. And, and so the subscription's 300 bucks a year, it's less than a buck a day, and they can pick up all this type of knowledge. So uh, I said, the only problem I have is I don't know what to name it. I took all the things, business coach, mentor, I took all those names and I wheeled them and I, I, I looked up for hours and they're all taken. I said, I got one name that that's not quite worthy, but but you know, it's it's Happy Boss. And my daughter's eyes rolled into the back of her head and she said, oh God, no. And I said, worse yet, I said, it's the Burfasco orange and blue <laughs> and she went, no, and I said, I'm sorry. I live in Orangeville, and I like orange. I don't know what it is, but I just do. And so I said, I've even got a logo in my mind with the little guy there and the tie. And I said, it's just cheesy as hell, and it connects with people. And then I said, I know it's not worthy, so let's forget about it. And then 20 minutes into the meeting, I said, can anyone get Happy Boss out of their head? And they all smiled and said, no. I said, then Happy Boss it is. <laughs> I've, ar- I've already bought happyboss.com.ca. I bought happy employees. I bought a happy uh, staff. I bought happy this and that. I said, honest to God, all our job is to make other people happy, right? So this absolutely, it, it captures it all. Actually, and the logo
1: puts a smile on your face when you're looking at it.
0: So, so I have golf balls. I should have brought you a golf ball. Oh. The golf ball has the same logo, and it's what I aim for when I pull out driver. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, I, I, I got I to gotta change the look of the face. What would you look like if you saw the face of a driver coming A little bit of a surprise, uh, yeah, a and surprise so look. That, that's actually what I did. And uh, uh, so I have the golf balls as well. That's funny. And uh, I did, I did um, uh, hockey sweaters, and we picked out the old Edmonton Euler color scheme, well, which is very close to course, ours, yeah. and we put the Happy Boss logo on the front, and they look good. We've been in you know, curling tournaments with those. Uh, just we've had fun. And you know we, it's all just a human thing, right? We connect with other people. And we help them get to where they're going. We help them solve the problems they're dealing with. And that manifests itself. So I've taken Happy Boss now. I've probably, oh my gosh, in 17 years, I've probably helped 150 or so businesses. Well, oh, you're going to wow. need to help me. I need um, lots of help. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I, it's what I do. I, I people say, well, you know, what's the company like? And I said, the company's me. I'm, I'm the company, it, we're, we're inseparable. It, it, it's what I do at the DNA level. It's how I'm wired. I don't have to think about you know putting on a different hat to do this. This is who I am. And I love it because I get to meet so many great people. And I, I help uh, with the Dragon's Den event up in Meaford. What? Oh really? And, huh? um, the uh, uh, Meaford Chamber of Commerce has been running a Dragon's Den event for 22 years. and I've been heading up the selection committee for about seven. I just finished like a seven year stint on their board of directors. I coach the businesses to the stage. So, you know, you get 10 people apply for five spots. I do a pre-interview with each of the 10. I go over their business plan and, uh, you know, there's holes in it you drive a truck through. Um, But I try to decide, are they passionate and do they know their stuff? I don't care about the business plan so much. It's a part, it's what the dragons will need to see. I'll help them make that better. We give them a training on that and everything else. But in three weeks, well, first of all, I have to evaluate them all, put them out to the committee, and I've asked background questions. So the committee gets those as sort of bonus information. We pick the five, I call all 10, I let them down, but, but I make the offer to help them all. Okay. And then the five that go to stage, I meet with them all individually through the process. And we talk about what it's like to be on the stage, we talk about the fact that what we're going to do in the next three weeks is not working on their business, it's winning a competition. And then I make the offer for each one of them that they can have a year of my spare time following the show, and that's always my gift to the, the show, wow. so I'm working with several of those at any point in time. It's a blast. And you meet so many nice and passionate people and they all just need, they need to know when they get to a particular intersection they've never seen before, whether they should turn left or right. And once you do that, get out of their way, and they may never ask you another question. But at that moment, it made all the difference, right? And that's all I'm doing. And uh, I don't want to be a a, a capital C consultant. I, I want to be more of a coach. And I don't want my time to be eaten up on, I'm not looking for fees. I'm just trying to spread the knowledge and sort of culture that I've been blessed with and, and pass it forward. I mean, that, that's all we're doing. How is the forward. pool
1: out there, Bob? Like how is – I'm assuming most of these people are younger. Uh, you,
0: you, you'd assume, right, but you'd only capture th- – seventy five percent of it okay because there's there's couples in their sixties and seventies that yeah, have a yeah, new idea for a business. it's like
1: a new idea that just came out of nowhere and they're yep. just figuring it out but yep. i I guess with the pool of people that you've been speaking to, how are they are they are are these idea or is it passion is it is it there or so, is it oh it's it's there it's okay. there
0: for sure I, i'll i you one other thing i I've recently got uh, so this is a bit of a twist I never went to university as a kid, but at thirty seven I was given the opportunity to go get my MBA from Queens, hmm. and they have an executive MBA program. I did that, and and you know I took the road less traveled. Right, I get the book, I get the application form that's in the book. Uh, I, I take it to my dad's partner who suggested this, and I said. Why? And he says, well, the company could use new ideas. And when we go to sell the company, uh, it'll make each of you guys you know, better prepared for the, the sale. And, and you, know, you might actually hang around. Uh, and he says, we'll benefit from the ideas. And so I get the book, and I, I flip to the back page where the cost is. And I walked up to him, and I said, there's the cost. He said, yeah, it's Queens. That would, that's what it would be. Uh, this is a man who had grade 8 but sent one of his daughters to Queens. Right? I mean, how many times do we hear that story, especially in contracting, right? The first generation does all the labor work, and then they send their kids off to university. Wow. Yep. Right? So I'm getting this chance. I was invited to show the pamphlet to three or four other guys who all turned it down. They don't need it. And, and so I went up to my dad's house the next day, and I said, uh, this is what your partner's up to. And I show him the brochure. He goes, what do you need that for? He says, you're already you know, in the business and you're senior and you're this and that and we'll sell it one day and you'll be fine. I go, I'm doing it. I want to complete the circle in my life, that, the part that's missing from way back when. I did, never knew how much I needed that or, or wanted it until I was finished, but boy, it was, it was emotional when I finally got the paper. But I said, I do want to know the other parts, the stuff we don't know, because as the business grows, I mean, we're now doing tens of millions in sales, and um, there's challenges we're gonna run into, and we're gonna have to hire a higher class of employee in the admin side, people that are finance people, people that are IT people, I wanna be able to talk to them. I mean, I'm a generalist, we're all generalists, we've made it from the ground up, but, but can we do this? Mm-hmm. and so I feel like this would be a good thing to do. I said, and, you know, if I wash out, I wash out. I mean, I, then I'll, I'll be fine. I'll pretend I'm fine. But you didn't <laughs> wash out. So, no, I did not. Um, I, I, I nearly drove home on, on day four. I got 65% on something called the role of the general manager, and I'd been one for 11 years. And I thought, I called my wife and talked for two hours, and I said, um, I'll see you at midnight, because if I get 65% on the one thing I know, I'm in trouble. (laughs) Now, they handed me a laptop. I'd never had one. All the assignments were due in four days, and they were in Word and Excel, and I'd never seen either program. Hi. It was a steep (laughs) learning curve. Wow. And that night, I did not drive home, but I came into class the next day, and the the, uh, lady by the name of Kate, who was sort of in charge of 75 of us, she looked at me in the hallway and said, you look like hell. (laughs) And I said, well, I, I spent all evening, putting myself back together. Because that 65 was like a a, a small piece of dynamite in the little box behind my heart where all my insecurities reside and it blew up. And I spent the night chasing them all down and putting them back in the box and taping it up and shoving it back in its rightful place. I said, now I'm just pissed. I said, you will now have to fire me. I said, I'm hanging around. I said, I won't go easily. And uh, I ended up, to give you context, I, I remember hearing a student complaining to a professor, I did everything you asked for, I followed every you know, requirement, and you gave me a 75. And he says, well, it's Queens, and uh, <laughs> you know, meeting expectations is a B.
1: Wow. Meeting expectations is a B. Right? You want to bring do something your standards extra. up.
0: So, out of 22 courses, I got, I think, nine A's.
3: Oh. Uh,
0: I didn't have an undergrad. I'd never seen the programs before, et cetera. But I had great teammates. Some of them are still my best friends. Uh, and I found a way. So, so, then when you bring this into the business with new owners, a venture capital firm, I, I remember one dinner where I was mm. sitting at the table with seven of them. And I came home and I said, My MBA paid for itself tonight. Wow. All seven were peppering me with questions from all over. And I said, by the way, for business meals, another good piece of advice, always order the salmon. Because when you hard swallow <laughs> steak, you will die. <laughs> but if you hard swallow salmon, you'll be okay. When they ask you a question, you feel like I got to well, chew, chew, chew. so that, you hard swallow.
2: That depends Ooh. on the restaurant. <laughs>
0: it, 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 it doesn't matter. It's salmon, you can always hard swallow. Stay away from lettuce. <laughs> anyway, so, so 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 happy. Boss is a manifestation of all those different things, and and I went to my partner, my dad's partner, after uh, well, a week before I graduated in uh, May of '99, and I said, um, Would you like to know? What I learned after two years of this crap, 30 hours a week of extra time, uh, we're on the right path. <laughs> he says, yeah. And that was our discussion. That was it? That was his version of OK Hero. Uh, um, these, are t- <laughs> these are plain spoken, common sense guys. And you, you, know, you, you if you met expectations, you got to be.
2: <laughs> I like that. Carlito, they don't make them like that anymore.
1: You want to fire some questions just to wrap it up while we kind of get wrapping this up, or what? Um, I know it's been like thoroughly you, enjoying. You know what?
2: He's been so much fun. Yeah. I I'm gonna keep these. We gotta have you back. Like we have to. <laughs> like we haven't even we haven't even touched the surface. There's so many things I want to ask you. I I'd, I'd like to finish a couple of things on the on the just on the schedule that we usually have because it's always fun.
1: Uh, no, I figured since we went veered off on that because we're almost at two and a half hours right well, now. Well, he's got uh, to answer the 12 questions. <laughs> he's got to answer the 12 questions. That's for sure. That's got to happen. But is there anything else that uh, did you touch upon everything, Bob? We want to make sure that... Uh, you,
2: you know what? Uh, for, for the next time you come back, I wanted to talk about the uh, 80s where we lost all our machine mechanics and our machine shops, uh, which led to you becoming even more successful because... Yep. That that importing, exporting was a massive thing because I wanted to be a machine mechanic early on. That was what I came out of high school for originally. I didn't end up that direction because we lost everything. Brown Marooney yep. sent everything across the seas. and Uh-oh. Something you said about quality, we lost that here. We had a lot of control here. We lost well, that.
0: And I would say this. If we had to remake everything we have today, I doubt our ability to do so. I
1: agree with you on that. Our country is not. Not anymore. You, yeah. you, you look
0: but we at, were.
2: We you, were one of the best countries around. You look
0: that. at the audacity and the courage it took to spend the money to build Union Station or even the Sky Dome, mm-hmm. you know, the Rogers Center, the whatever it's called today. I mean, we are working our way into a corner where everything's about the budget and not about the vision. And we have to be better than that. Canada is the best country in the world to be in business for yourself, to be a citizen, to be an entrepreneur. And we don't understand how strong that is, how important it is. And to those who much is given, much is expected. If you're a Canadian citizen, much has been given. So we need to to live up to that. I have, I have a few thoughts.
2: Yeah, no, I want to catch up on that later Later on. I, I really wanted to ask you, I didn't pick it up unless it just went right by me. What's your background? In what way? Your, your nationality Ethnicity? or- Ethnicity? Yes.
0: So funny you say that. Uh, one of my hobbies beyond traveling and taking lots of pictures is genealogy. And uh, when I started, my mom didn't know the name of her grandparents. I now have 15,000 people in the tree. A great grandfather was Estonian. I should be Irish, but it looks like we were chased out of uh, uh, Scotland and England and went through Ireland on our way to Canada. I have some German background. I have apparently some uh, Spanish background. Wow. And and my family, at least four branches of them at the great-great-grandparent level, great-great-grandparent, three greats, they were Quakers came in through the Hudson River Valley of New York and were chased to Canada because Quakers are pacifists and wouldn't fight in the American Revolution and so they all settled in the uh, Picton to Kingston area yeah I'm in Prince Edward County well so so and <laughs> Prince Edward County Adolphus Town Dorland Sills of uh, Sillsville uh, the D- Dorland and Sills are names in my family tree Wow. And uh, they, there's uh, a variety of places in Prince Edward County just to the uh, west of Picton. Names are escaping me. But but also Thomasburg and Sterling and all this type of area. So my family came up in through there. Yeah, it's, uh, I'm a mutt. I like <laughs> it. I'm definitely a <laughs> mutt. Well, no, I, I
2: was curious because uh, one thing I don't see with the generations here is what I see from my family is... Uh, my family being European background, everyone was married at 16. Everyone had a full-time job. They were already like at a different level of maturity. And I just found that through your stories, you started really early with
0: everything. So I was so, just trying to find out your background for So that. my grandfather was 21 when my dad was born, and my grandfather was one of two. He was the youngest of the two. But, but um, my dad was the oldest, and he was 22 when I was born. And I was 21 when my son was born. Wow. Whoa. So um, I, I looked at my son the day he turned 21. I said, no pressure. But
3: and I never saw a reason
0: not to get on with it. Well, what I was
2: leading to is, do you think the drive that you have was because of that background? Because you don't see that every day anymore. Well...
0: You do you see, it, it, see it, but the, it the anything, percentage is very short. It's not anything special. It's just what you do. But it, it is may, special. It may look unique or rare or something, but, but it, it was just normal. It, it was just... It, it, I sold nuts and bolts in the absence of being able to come up with a good story for my dad as to why I shouldn't <laughs> right I mean it was an accident it was totally an accident I wasn't planning on that path I was trying to figure out what I would do but just to shut the old man up I went out and sold some nuts and bolts <laughs> right but it turned out to be actually pretty good at it and I thought well this will do till something better comes up never did uh, on, on a funnier
2: note the first couple of years that you were working in your, in your youth, did you ride your
0: pony to work? No, <laughs> no. Um, but, but very close. My first car was a Pinto. Oh yeah, I loved it. <laughs> My buddy put a 454 in one. Yeah. I wrote it off after nine days. They were bad back then. What color was <laughs> the Trans uh, I had I had a '67 Firebird. Oh, a yeah, Firebird, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and I'll tell you, the reason I, I got rid of it is because I came out. Well, first of all, my son nearly ran me over in it. He was about two or three. They didn't have the parking interlock, <laughs> and we had a slightly sloped driveway. Uh-oh. And he put it into neutral. And it was easy to not get While I was doing ne- something at the back yeah. of the car. They had the
2: nicer body styles. Your your. Uh, it was fun. I had a '74 oh Firebird. Yep. Yeah, yeah it's more Pop, like the Trans Am. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so this thing, um, it, it was a blast. And, but one day I came out, and again, the doors didn't really lock and stuff like this. It was very you know, primitive. Uh, there was a guy sitting in my car in my driveway. And I said, what are you doing? He says, I really like this car. I just had to sit in it. I sold it two weeks later. To him? no to somebody but i just thought nah just this this is over and and also the dash was cast iron and i could imagine my brain splattered all over it and i now (laughs) had two kids and i so i think i used the the two grand uh, to buy a couch and pay off some household debt um you know i mean that's what you do right priorities and then you go on i didn't i bought a a nicer car 25 years later my fun car my first fun car what is it uh it was a mercedes convertible oh and and, and I, I I really sat down, uh, I saw it in, at the dealer. I actually saw a Porsche Boxster, and I'm too tall to be in a Porsche Boxster. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> but the guy, the salesman, to his credit, said, you're too tall, but your wife would love it. <laughs> um, but you might like one of ours. And we have a used Jag and stuff like that. So so you know, I, I took it for test drive, and then two weeks went by, and I called him and said, you, you were gonna get me a price. And he says, Oh, oh yeah, yeah, I'll get your price. So he, you know, gives me a price, and uh, <laughs> I said I'd like to come down and test drive it again. So I grabbed my fourteen-year-old son, who you know, ultimate skeptic, and and, and and we test drove five of them, and we're at St. Catharines, by the way. This sounds so of fun. Of all things, we're in St. Catharines, and so the test drive involved going by Henry of Pelham Winery. So I bought a case of wine on on the <laughs> on <front> porch, <laughs> and uh, and then you know, two weeks go by, and my wife says are you buying the car or not? And, and we'd sold the business two years prior. And I said, and, and, and you remember the time uh, Chrysler and Mercedes were partnering?
1: Yeah, Dahmer, Chrysler. And I
0: said, it's an awful lot of money to spend on a Chrysler. <laughs> and my wife says, well, what the hell were all the hours for, all the sacrifice, if you won't reward yourself? Wow, with I like her. And so I bought the car within a week. Good for her and good for you. That's way too much sense. It's one of those things, wanting something is probably 75% of the satisfaction. You don't actually have to buy it sometimes to get most of the enjoyment. But that car was the most fun you can have. I mean, it. it <laughs> the, I have a replacement for it right now I'm driving and it's like 380, 90 horsepower and it goes like, and, and it's just a pile of fun and every time i come into the house <laughs> it's a pile of every fun. time i come into the house i go to my wife i am so grateful for my life that i get to drive that car that is just so much fun <laughs> What well, what is that now
2: the mercedes the yeah. mercedes yeah yeah yeah
0: i said I, I told everyone at the first because you're sort of self-deprecating or whatever but i said i wanted to drive a convertible I had one. My dad had one when I was a teenager, an Olds Cutlass. And I said I love that car, and I said I want to buy a convertible. But I said I, I, I want to feel the wind blow through my hair. And I looked in the mirror this morning and decided I better hurry up. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> that is funny. So I'll, I'll make it short because hey, I know many. What? I know
2: many wants to cycle through fast. So <laughs> I'll keep it fun. I got a Rubik's cube right beside my my bed. Every couple of days. I wind it through. I only I, get I've only never two, done one. I, I get through two colors. I used to be able to do the whole thing. I can't relax enough. Like It's for me to relax. Uh, I just wanted to find out if you're good at it, and you said nothing.
0: No, I've never been able to get one color. Because
2: you used it so much in, in your conversation, so yeah, I was well, curious how good you were with it.
0: I, I use analogy in my examples so that people can relate to what they already know. The yeah. next time we meet, I will be giving you a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh,
2: another quick question is um, you said something really important and we've spoke about it before on the show. I think that everyone listening should really pay attention to it. I spent almost almost close to 40 years in this in this business. And one thing I never learned until just recently was really the people around you is who you are. So. If you want to become successful, you should pick your clientele really wisely. You mentioned that and it stuck out to me again. If you want to succeed, pick the kind of customer you want to have, the kind of the kind of place you want to be with your business. If you want to be at the bottom and you just want to be a maintenance guy, that's who you're going to be. If you want to be a big builder and you want to work with 25,000 square foot homes, you that's where you're, that's where you want to put yourself. And I think for anyone listening, that's what you need to figure out where you're happy. It doesn't mean you have to be rich or poor, as long as you're happy and you know where you're at to be happy.
0: Yeah, there's a natural zone. You know, and we all have glass ceilings. I mean you should break through a glass ceiling or two in your lifetime. But there's a fit for everybody. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't stretch and and find you know new plateaus. You should look at it and say, you know, should life be a struggle? Like if if, if I'm if I'm always struggling, if I can't, if all the signs on the highway are backwards to me, I should turn around and go the other way, right? And, and it's one of those things where you gotta know yourself. That's the hardest journey we all have is learning ourselves. And and then, you know, find a place to fit and find a tribe. I mean, there's a book called Tribes. Yeah. I'd recommend everyone read it. I mean, it's, it's, it's brilliant in its descriptions of finding- Seth, right? a comfort zone with people who are speaking the same language and, and, and whatever. And again, stretch a little. I mean, when I went to university, it was a big stretch, right? But I'm glad I did it. Reading a poem tonight, possibly having to sing. Oh my gosh, that's a 10-second stretch that I wasn't really expecting. More glass. So, right? and, and there's something interesting you say
2: about what how you, you bettered yourself. You had a certain group of friends for so long that you were close to and you were comfortable with but you went to university, and you, you get this kind of, how do I explain it? Your friends never really, you, you know where you come from, and then if you pass them and you go farther ahead than them, they're always envious. Where new people you meet, like you going to university, you got a new set of friends, well, they, they're
0: more supportive. They, knew, and they, they get to know who you are at the present, not who you were in the past. Both are useful. And we have friends that we met when our kids were all young. We call ourselves a euchre group. All we could afford to do is once a month get together a potluck and play euchre. That's wicked. And we are still the euchre group. And we <laughs> are, uh, my son's 40. Uh, we met about 38, 40 years ago. And we are still all good friends. We had several of them at our house over the past couple of months for different events. We played cards with one group two weeks ago. We're all still good friends. Yeah. No, so and that, I, that stayed with me, but I've added new friends and I talked to new friends about some new stuff that I do. Yeah. I
2: just, I just found something interesting about that because I'm, I've been looking at my life, especially since my father passed, just opening new windows in my life that I've never, I've never seen through those planes of glass before they were there, but I just never saw it. And I just noticed like people like Manny and so many new people in my life that I never grew up with, they... Support me so much more or wish more for me than, and I still love the people I grew up with, but there's a different respect and a different push I find that with newer people.
0: Life is cumulative, right? You don't have to lose one to get another. I yeah, mean, right. I, I, I just think that this is the same as your skill sets. I always describe this to new employees. They said, you know, when you're born, you have a toolbox and it has a hammer in it, and that's it. <laughs> and you go around banging everything with the hammer. And then your job over life is to accumulate more tools, right? There will be a day when you'll use a chainsaw and a day when you use a scalpel. Right? But your job is to continue to not only accumulate tools but understand the appropriateness of each tool for each job. Yeah. Right? Our personalities are toolboxes full of tools. Our, our, our everything we do is cumulative. Right? You may not have used that particular tool in a good long time. It's still there. You could still use it. And it doesn't mean you enjoy old tools or new tools any differently than each other. Sometimes. Well, I do. <laughs> well, but, but like I'm, I'm a I know, gadget I'm guy, I, I, I'm a guy that, that has, I mean, I have tested hundreds and hundreds of products and brand names. I'm as curious with the next one as I was with the first one. That little piece of me still looks at it and goes, how the hell did they do that? And then I look at, and, and by the way, I still have Burfasco dreams where I wake up in the middle of the morning. <laughs> like I, 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 I've had conversations with guys I used to work with that are gone now and yeah. my, my dad's partner. And, 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 and I look at it and go, I saw this, this application and, and I saw a product and, and, and I wake up and I go, there's no one to tell. No one no, no, no cares, you know. But but that little posted on social media. that weird part of my brain is, it has never shut off in all these years, and I'm very thankful for that. And so when I meet with new people as Happy Boss, um, I bring that same curiosity to the conversation.
2: Uh, you're so funny. I love it. So, uh-huh. uh, my last question before he gets into it: Were you a farm boy?
0: No. I always grew up in the country. I live on 50 acres now. Uh, we've been there 34 years. I plant 10,000 trees. Wow. Um, I am a, uh, a hobbyist, I guess, but I'm not a farmer. I've never had that responsibility. Uh, there are people I admire the most. They're in my family tree like crazy. My family tree doesn't have a single lawyer, but it has a whole bunch of blacksmiths and a whole bunch of farmers. Wow. Right? It must be a defective gene. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the blacksmiths. Yeah, well, it's interesting. So, so, so I, I started in the greenhouse. I worked on the farm for a number of years. I had a great affinity with the animals. It's gross, but I can tell you that the warmest place in the barn in the winter is up a cow's arse. <laughs> To your shoulder. (laughs) Um, So, Uh, (laughs) yeah, I've I've dabbled uh, with farming, uh, but
2: it never stuck. (laughs) It sounds like it. (laughs) On that Uh, note, let's wrap it up with the 12 questions.
1: But everybody, uh, again, Bob (laughs) Peel, happyboss.com, happyboss, or sorry, bob at happyboss.com, and on social media, happyboss.com. You'll find them there. Uh, so I just changed the uh, James Lipton show questions to construction questions. Uh, so I'll ask you these. There's no right or wrong, Pop. Nothing mm. at all. There's no right or wrong. It's just uh, have some fun. Yeah. What is your favorite construction? Wait, word? wait a second.
2: Oh. You're in,
0: you're at Queens now. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I changed it from word to phrase. Okay. Uh, my favorite construction phrase is "I got this." <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is your least favorite
0: construction phrase? Something happened. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you never
1: want to hear that. Yeah, you don't want to hear that. <laughs> don't want to hear that. Uh, uh, <laughs> what turns you on in construction?
0: Watching tech screws work. Wow. No. Yes, yeah, that's actually good. I of all you all like sheet metal things. work. I, 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 just, <laughs> I, I find tech screws to be fascinating. The guy actually designed it on a napkin in an airplane on the way back to no the way.
2: office. No way. Wow. Yeah. He also invented the Tapcon. gun same guy you know what (laughs) and the tapcon changed my life because i used to use the mushroom heads when i did steel framing yeah and then i had to drill the holes out and pull them out
0: yeah 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 (laughs) what
1: turns you off in construction
0: guys that don't return their phone calls
1: oh it's a phone man it's so easy it's so easy and it's free Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Is it? yep. What? Well, yeah. yeah. Well, data re- rates supply. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what is your favorite curse word or phrase? The word
0: can't.
2: You know what? It's, it is a curse word. Yeah. It's In martial totally, arts,
0: you're not allowed to say that. It's That's totally a curse. If word. someone says can't, I just get pissed off and I do it anyway. <laughs> I can't, there's always it, 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 there's a way. There's no more motivating word for me. I, I got all the other curse words, and we dropped f bombs at our office like nobody's business. We were we were pros, but 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 that's too simple. It is. You, so you, don't it, play you, chicken you, with you. You, you. you say the word can't to me, it it, it it's swearing. It's going to happen. <laughs> what is
1: your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world. My
0: uh, Mercedes convertible. Your convertible, still love it. Uh, <laughs> what is your least favorite vehicle? the tractor I in the field? I had a Dodge van.
2: No, 318? Ni-
0: and, 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 oh my gosh. This, I bought it from a contractor that, um, huh. Joanne and Archie Fior, uh, Joanne worked for my dad and Archie was a contractor. And this is going back to like 1979, 80, 81. And I bought for 500 bucks his near death van and it always died on my wife whenever it knew she was driving it and there were no cell phones and no phone booths in the country and she would have to walk up a farm lane Uh, and I would have to go find her somewhere (laughs) (laughs) so yeah that would be my the worst one what construction
1: sound or noise do you love
0: I'll go back to the tech screws the sound of it yeah Yeah. I just I love drills and stuff like that yeah
1: what construction sound or noise do you hate
0: this one, uh, I got, I got uh, two answers for you. Mm-hmm. The construction sound I hate is snap. Oh. Anything that snaps, like a drill bit or anything, it's yeah. like. I hate really? that too. But, but I Googled this before your, because I couldn't find your construction questions. <laughs> and I looked up the one that said, that inspired this, and said, what's your, your worst sound? And to your audience, I would say that the sound I hate the most in life is the goal horn in hockey arenas, particularly the Buffalo Sabres or the Montreal (laughs) Canadiens. When I hear that horn, it means they've scored against the Leafs because I have no other reason to watch those two teams. (laughs) And that horn just finds my spine drives me crazy.
1: What profession other than your own would you like to attempt?
0: I thought about this. A travel guide for small groups. Take people around the world and show them stuff. It sounds like you'd enjoy that. The of your kids I and I your scupper. family. I've yeah. done about seven trips to Europe, and uh, I've just had a taste of it. But that's that would be interesting. Have you been to Croatia? I have not. My son went and said, how can you not have been to Croatia?
2: Excellent. I like him already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: yeah.
1: What profession would you not like to do?
0: I have deep admiration and no skill to drive a semi a truck wow i admire those guys because i can't do that i I mean i could drive one but i couldn't tolerate the bs on the road from the other drivers i don't have the patience for that and that would be my idea of hell on earth if somebody said drive a a truck but you know again and i've talked about it when we were going through life with our marriage and everything else i said i can always drive a truck and she said you hate driving a truck i said if it had to pay the bills, I'd drive a truck. But you had so many trucks in your fleet. I had 25. <laughs> I actually used to do some of the deliveries. Really? And, and my dad's partner gave me hell one day, and he said, what are you doing? And I said, I want to see what the driver's world looks like. And so I need to sit beside him and see what he's putting up with and then see if I can fix it. That's brilliant, man. You are amazing. So, you
1: know. Last question, Bob. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly (laughs) gates? So
0: my wife laughed at this, but I said... Welcome. We've been waiting for your arrival. We have a few things we'd like you to look at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That oh, was good. Thank you very
1: much, Bob, so much for being on the show and sharing so much. Good, good luck editing. Oh, it'll be easy. That's an easy one. You just let it roll. That's all it is. Let's all look at him and go, what now, hero? <laughs> <laughs> oh, great.
3: Now i got to listen to that for the next six months.
1: <laughs> Everybody Please check out HappyBoss.com Bob at HappyBoss.com You guys got any questions About any side hustles Entrepreneurs Or Everybody in construction Has got something going on In their They're nogging outside Of swinging a hammer I honestly believe that So And they need help Everybody needs Including Mike Cole Oh I need lots of help He needs lots of help there So And on social media HappyBoss.com I think Carlito We out of here bro Uh, boom, Boom 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 He does his little beatbox thing out of here. That's what makes the show so unique. It's nice to hear it again. (laughs) (laughs) Where are we at?
3: Oakville.
2: Straight out of Oakville, baby. (laughs) Out of
3: here.